This is Comic Geek Speak episode 1704 Previews. I'm Adam Murdo. And I'm Chris Eberly. And welcome to the show. It's uh, yes. another heady uh, previews episode in the offing here. A um, little bit... Uh, uh, a little bit more timely than the last one, and then we do indeed, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> yeah, we again apologize for the lateness of the last one, but uh, you know schedules just didn't quite sync up. But uh, thanks to the uh, heroic efforts of Chris and Shane, we got it out to you on the very last day of the appropriate month. <laughs> and now, two weeks later, we're back again, so you can actually use what we've got to say here to help inform your monthly orders, and uh, we're we're excited to provide that service for you, aren't we, Chris? Oh, you better believe it, brother. Amen. And this episode of uh, Comic Geek Speak, as all previews episodes of Comic Geek Speak, are brought to you by our good friends at the Discount Comic Book Service at their website, dcbservice.com, your premier source for online comic book shopping, where you can go for all of your online comics ordering needs. Uh, the discounts they offer there are without peer. Uh, all new books from uh, DC, Marvel, Image, and Dark Horse are automatically 40% off right off the bat. Uh, comics from, uh, new releases from most other publishers are between 20 and 30 5% off. Uh, collections, uh, trade paperbacks and hardcovers from Marvel and DC are automatically half off as new. Uh, they offer – DCPS offers all kinds of uh, bundles of uh, uh, several different uh, comics uh, of a related theme like uh, new releases from Marvel, uh, from DC. They've got bundles this month for Vertigo releases and Jinx World, You know, continuing to celebrate the arrival of uh, uh, Brian Michael Bendis's Creator-owned imprint at DC Comics. Uh, all Jinx World titles uh, are bundled together at 50% off, uh, just as an example. Uh, every month they have specials, uh, which can be uh, 45, 50, or as high as 75% off. We'll uh, spotlight a couple of those as we go along here. Uh, they offer different... Uh, Shipping intervals. You can have your new comics uh, as ordered from DCBService.com shipped to you on a weekly basis or biweekly or monthly, uh, whatever's your pleasure. Uh, just bearing in mind you have to uh, pay the appropriate uh, shipping when, whenever that happens. Um, and, uh, yeah, they, they're always uh, – they provide excellent customer service. Uh, they're reliable. Their prices are very reasonable, and uh, they're, they're a good friend of our program. So we, we all support uh, DCBS, and we hope that you listening at home will too. Just go to dcbservice.com to check out uh, what they can do for you to meet your uh, comics ordering needs. And in fact, Brother Murdo, I just received yesterday my latest shipment mm -hmm. from DCB Service, and I can attest once again, beautifully packaged – Right on the money, no omissions. Uh, I'm holding my hands right now. Back issue number 105, spotlighting Bronze Age fist fighters, Ooh. which I will I'll talk about a little bit more when we get to the tomorrow section. So mm -hmm. I, I concur with Murd that once again, DCB service. If you no longer go to the comic shop or you don't have one near you, uh, it's the place to go. Mm -hmm. Amen and amen. We all use them. We all <laughs> trust them. We all love them. All right, and now 
Let us turn our attention to the previews catalog and uh, releases that will be finding their way to comic stores uh, beginning in September. Ah, uh, yes, that black month when <laughs> my uh, holiday comes to an end and uh, reality, reality re- resurfaces. Abandon hope, all ye you instruct here. <laughs> uh, I'm, only, I'm, only, I'm only half kidding. I mean... <laughs> My, 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 my job in many ways is a wonderful thing. Oh, yes, of course. Chance to touch young minds. Yes, indeed. Well, there's, there's a lot of jokes we could take from that, but I have to maintain my decorum minds. as a teacher. Touch young minds. <laughs> influence young minds. Yes, we, we, try, we try to influence positively rather than corrupt. Of course. Um, all right, so as you said, they're coming out in September. Uh, we're in the image section, and Murphy got a lot of number ones here. Oh, yeah, as usual, coming from the uh, true house of ideas in uh, the major comics publishing world. Indeed. And uh, looking at page 44, we've got uh, one of Diamond's uh, designated gems of the month, uh, Scotty Young, uh, writing Bully Wars number one. Rufus, the biggest bully in Rottenville since kindergarten, suddenly goes from bullied to bull- bullied on the first day of high school. He's forced to make a shaky pack with his favorite geek, Spencer, and his twin siblings, sibling besties, Edith and Ernie. Together, they'll have to find a way to survive the Hunger Games-like contest on simply as the Bully Wars, where the winner will rule the school. Sounds immensely fun. Yeah. And uh, apparently DCBS sees the gem quality in Bully Wars number one as well because it's one of their uh, monthly specials. It's 50% off if you order it through dcbservice.com. Art by Aaron Connolly, who's done Sabretooth Swordsman and Rocket Raccoon and Groot. It's an, and they emphasize it's an all-ages series, so that's always nice to see. Okay. And then tone down the torment a little bit uh, <laughs> for younger readers. Ah, let's see. On the facing page there, page 45, uh, something that they're uh, touting as being in the vein of uh, Bitch Planet – which we know is a favorite of our friend Danny O'Brien's. Uh, it's called Maneaters, and it's a story of a future in which uh, widespread genetic mutation has caused all human women on the planet uh, to metamorphose into bloodthirsty werecats whenever they hit that special time of the month. A uh, certain amount of symbolism inherent there. Um, so, yeah, that's a new uh, sort of uh, feminist science fiction concept coming out through Image. As panic spreads and paranoia takes root, the fate of the world rides on the shoulders of one 12-year-old girl. Part cat people, part the handmaid's tale. That's quite a com- uh, combination. Man-eaters will have everyone talking. It sounds like it's a lot of fun. I've never read Bitch Planet. Have you read that? Uh, you know, I, I do have a trade of it handy uh, back at the apartment. Uh, I was hoping that we'd eventually do a, a book of the month on it as suggested by Danny uh, a couple of years ago. Never quite got around to it, so I never quite got around to reading it. But it is close to the top of my uh, trade paperback reading pile. Oh, the fabled pile. <laughs> yes, one of – Well, uh, I've, got go a whole, ahead, I've got a whole mythos of fabled piles left there <laughs> in my apartment. <laughs> well, we, we, have, we have to get back to the book of the month format. I always enjoyed doing that immensely. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love it if we could. Yeah, the challenge is just to get a, enough of a quorum going that we can have a good, lively discussion. We'll, uh, we'll see what we can do, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. All right, on page 46, the writer Joe Casey returns. Murn, I'm, I'm, I'm brain farting here on my Roman numerals. What is that number? Oh, do allow me. MCMLXXV. For those of you uh, uh, who, like Chris, are, are a little rusty in your Roman numerals, that spells out 1975. 
And this uh, th- this is one of the, the releases for this uh, catalog, Chris, that excites me the most. I um, can imagine. <laughs> so it, it's set in the year 1975, of course, and it follows the adventures of uh, uh, a, 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 an African-American lady cab driver in 1975 Manhattan. Uh, she drives a cab by day, but by night she uh, fights monsters using a magic tire iron. In 1975, New York. So we, we've got elements of black exploitation in there. We've got uh, heroic fantasy, you know, monster slaying, and it's all set against uh, one of my favorite periods of, of of recent histories. And it's written by Joe Casey. So, bye, 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 says I. <laughs> <sighs> Murd, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick this up as well because I always enjoy Joe Casey's writing, and then we can you know doubt discuss it when it uh, when it debuts. But yeah, I mean, my God, if ever was a book tailor made for your sensibilities, here it is on page forty six. And how <laughs> that is going to be a ton of fun. Ah, and on the next page, also kind of an interesting idea: uh, Burnouts Number One, uh, written by Dennis Culver, art by Jeffo. Uh, <laughs> And uh, this is about uh, three teenaged friends who discover that there's a secret alien invasion uh, afoot in their hometown, but they can only see the aliens uh, when they're under the influence of marijuana. Uh, so it's kind of a <laughs> stoner horror comedy in comic form. And, of course, there's the lingering question of whether these aliens they can only see when baked out of their minds really exist. So there's a little bit of a layer there. So it would... <laughs> Make for a good stoner comedy on the big screen, but instead it's coming to us on the small paneled page. All right. Page 48, a new offer from Warren Ellis um, and his, and his co-creator of the book Trees, which I never read. Uh, Jason Howard is the artist. Um, a professional pathfinder is only ally a disaffected young murderess breaks out of a torture cell in pursuit of his worst extraction center ever, escaping on foot across a sprawling and secret off-world colony established a hundred years ago and filled with generations of lunatics. Sounds like Warren Ellis, all right. Um, I'm sure this is going to be fun. So did you ever read Trees Murder? No. Uh, you know, I read the first traded volume of it just uh, earlier this year um, when I drove oh. out to New Jersey um, this past winter to see uh, Peter uh, Peter Rios' uh, directorial production of the musical Ragtime. I got to the theater a little early and sat there in the car and read the first volume of Trees. How was it? I, it's an intriguing concept. It's about uh, these uh, gigantic alien life forms that resemble earthly trees, only you know, like twenty times the size. Uh, they they just sort of appeared at various spots around the globe uh, a couple of decades ago, and have just stood there doing nothing ever since. But uh, the, the story picks up at about the time when signs are beginning to appear around the world that they're awakening and they're beginning to do something mysterious and sinister. So we're kind of picking up in a world that's lived with these things among them for a few decades, and you know, we're shown the impact of, on, on global culture as a result of their presence. Uh, it's a fairly intriguing stuff, uh, but you know, the, the, the pacing, given that we're dealing with life forms that move at the pace of trees, the, the story is kind of similarly paced. Uh, so not, not that much has actually happened by the end of the first volume. Um, but it, it's something that I would want to read more of once I find you know, the, the next couple of volumes at a reasonable price. All right. So, so despite the pace, it intrigued you enough to want to return to it then? Uh, this, yes, uh, th- that is correct. All right. Yep. And this is the oh, same pay, team, Go ahead, Bert. So I'm sorry. Probably also, yep. It's the same creative team, so probably also. And, and it's going to be, from the sound of the description, even uh, faster paced than Trees is. <laughs> right, on page 51, Me the People hardcover. This intrigues me, uh, A, because it's political. I'm always interested in that. And B, it's by uh, Pia Guerra from Why the Last Man. 
Um, I didn't realize uh, where I was doing work for the New Yorker uh, magazine, and uh, she's done a st- string of editorial cartoons uh, based on the cover <laughs> and the description. If you are a staunch supporter of President Trump and or the Republican Party, this is probably not your book. <laughs> um, but for everyone else, this sounds like it would be – Extremely captivating. Again, I, I love Guerra's artwork on My the Last Man, um, and I'm interested to see uh, what sensibility she brings to these uh, you know, very controversial and divisive issues. It looks like here she's talking about uh, just the Trump administration, their policies, uh, GOP policies involving uh, gun violence, etc. So uh, be warned, folks. This is, this is going to be a very political uh, – well, they're political cartoons, so right. – uh, Depends on your political, uh, your, where you fall on the political spectrum, where you fall on the current uh, uh, controversies being uh, debated back and forth, uh, and then some in our country today. But that's me, the people, on page fifty-one. Now, Murd, what I want to talk about the most of this whole previews is on page fifty-two. All right, let's have it, Chris. Yes, my heroes have always been junkies. This is an OGN, a hardcover. All that matters is what follows here. It's done by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. That's it. I, I don't care really what it's about, although I'm going to look at and read the solicitation. But these, this is one of my all-time favorite creative teams in the last I don't know how many years of, of comic book reading. Uh, I mentioned that in the last uh, episode we did that they just finished up their what I already consider classic "Killer Be Killed" series. What I love about Brubaker and Phillips, they do finite stories. You know, they they end them, they move on to the next uh, concept. You've read "Criminal," "Fatal," "Incognito." Go back to Sleeper, uh, the DC Wildstorm universe, which is is tremendous. Uh, Killer Be Kill, which just ended, and now we have uh, an OGN from them. I'll read the the, uh, solicitation. Teenage Ellie has always had romantic ideas about drug addicts. The tragic artistic souls drawn to needles and pills have been an obsession to the death of her junkie mother 10 years ago. When Ellie lands at Upscale Rehab Clinic, where nothing is what it appears to be, she'll find another more dangerous romance and find out how easily drugs and murder go hand in hand. Wow. Hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm getting it. <laughs> I, I've yet to not in, not to fully savor and enjoy everything this team has done, working with the great colorist Elizabeth uh, Brightweiser. They don't mention her name here, but I'm assuming she's working on it. I assume so too. Yeah, so to me, this is one of the most exciting creative teams in comics, and I'm very much looking forward to this. 1699 uh, OGN hardcover coming out October 10th. Also, on a part of page 54. Uh, I've praised the book The Dead Hand uh, periodically. I just got issue four last night. I haven't read it yet, but great. Uh, it's, it's an espionage thriller with sort of a Cold War context. Uh, I don't want to spoil too much because the, or, or in the first three, so there's already been a lot of great twists and turns. Uh, again, it's Kyle Higgins, a writer we've praised many times in the show uh, over the years, and he continues to deliver uh, – with the dead hand, so I highly recommend that. You can probably, you can probably track down the, the first three issues somewhere or wait for the trade and get issues one through six. All right, Mer, what else do you want to talk about in Image? Uh, well, I don't, I, I don't think I'll have anything else to mention until the very end of the uh, ongoing series section. Um, well, we might stop and uh, throw a quick mention on page 74 to uh, the latest uh, Howard Chaikin project, uh, Hey Kids Comics, which is... Uh, his own, uh, well, based on true stories, uh, semi-fictionalized accounts of uh, sort of dirty laundry stories of goings-on in the comics industry and other industries thereunto related. 
So he's, you know, I'm sure he'll have some interesting and uh, visceral, if not vitriolic, things to say. Um, okay, there's Paper Girls. Uh, he's getting to its uh, 24th issue on page 82. Um, but, uh, I think the, the only other thing that I really have anything to say about in Image is on page 95. And that's on uh, the, the Wicked plus the Divine, 1373. Okay, there have been a number of these little one-shot uh, historical specials, as they're called, uh, throughout the run of the Wicked and the Divine. Um, it's, well, the Wicked and the Divine is about a, a group of uh, mythological beings, you know, deities from actual world mythologies uh, who are periodically uh, reincarnated on Earth for a limited period of time. They live fast. They die young. They leave beautiful corpses. They get ready to do it again you know, another you know, century or so down the line. So they, they've lived multiple lifetimes on Earth among human beings. And and um, while the main of that series uh, tells about their adventures in the present day, uh, these historical specials occasionally tell you what they were up to in their past lives in other historical periods. And uh, the solicitation here on page 95 says that 1373 is the last one of these that there will be, which uh, tells me that uh, this series is going to be coming to an end fairly soon, more's the pity. But it's written by series writer Kieran Gillen, art by Ryan Kelly, and... Uh, <laughs> Somewhat out of character for these two characters, uh, one of the uh, beings that is constantly resurrected is Lucifer, and uh, she is uh, incarnate as a nun in this time period. And uh, one of the others, Ananke, is uh, is a penitent murderer. And it's, it's a story of the two of them coming to grips with one another in the wake of the uh, Black Plague in you know, disease-ravaged Europe. So that's uh, I haven't missed one of these yet, and I'm not going to miss this one either. So, Murdy, have you read the entire series? I own the entire series. <laughs> That's a foolish question on my part. Because yeah, uh, yeah. I, I love Kieran Gillen as a writer, so I, I definitely should uh, get into this. I've, I've never read this series. Um, it's it's very good, Chris. I mean, from, from yeah. what I have read of it. And uh, plus, his usual collaborator is artist Jamie McKelvey, who's one of my favorite working pencilers these days. All right, well, I'll have to hunt down the first trade. On the Dark Horse, then? Uh, yes, sir. All right, so on page 100, uh, Dark Horse it has a license now for Stranger Things. Mm -hmm. Yep, they must be still feeling the sting of the loss of Star Wars because they continue to aggressively pursue new licenses to publish. And uh, this is a great get for them, I must say. I, I'll say it. Written by Jody Hauser, pencils by Stefano Martino. Um, so this book this story takes you now you've you've seen the first the two seasons haven't you murd i've seen season 1 thanks to that uh, limited uh, target release of on, on uh, dvd of the first season and it was and you, and you you enjoyed it thoroughly correct oh man it was it really pushed a lot of the right buttons i mean it as <laughs> it, it does say here in uh, this dark horse section that it's nostalgia igniting and yeah it it perfectly captures the feel of an 80s era um uh, overproduced uh, science fiction fantasy text, you know, like a, like an ET or something of that nature, and yeah, it it, it felt eighties, uh, but it's it it, it 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 really brings back that uh, cool large feeling that uh, young people uh, who were kids in the eighties got when watching those larger than life uh, the cinematic entertainment spectacles. Uh, and uh, so this one is the story that Dark Horse is publishing is now going to take 
it's going to fill in uh, one of the gaps of the first season. It's uh, one of the characters was trapped in an alternate dimension, um, sort of the, the the underside of the reality he knows, which is populated by predatory demonic beings. And so he he, he for several weeks he lived a life of constant terror, and uh, so now Jody Hauser, late of faith, uh, is going to tell us the story of. Uh, of what Will Byers, that character, was un- undergoing while his young friends were racing around trying desperately to find and rescue him back in the so-called real world. Well, anybody who's, who's watched and loved the show, uh, this, this series may, may really, as Murd said, push your buttons. Because, um, again, it's, they're, they're filling in a, a part of the show that, we, that was not really revealed to us. So, and Murd, I look forward to your reaction when you watch season two. Hmm. Well, it's it's all in Target's hands now, Chris. <laughs> Send out another one of those great facsimile VHS cases, and I'll I'll buy it right away. I, I, I assume it's it's uh, it would be too much to to assume that you might be able to access Netflix at some point. <sighs> well, we've got the Wi-Fi. My computer's probably up to it, but I, I just don't do streaming, Chris. I'll, I'll wait until I can just buy a hard copy and watch it any time I want. My friend, that was just the response I was counting on. Mm-hmm. I'm reliable that oh. way. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. So on page 104, we have Mystery Science Theater 3000. Um, I'm not familiar with this. Is, is this is, I guess this is, is this riffing on the, the classic television show? Oh, yes, definitely. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's going to do, uh, from what I'm seeing here, it's going to do for public domain old comic books what the classic syndicated TV series did for old movies. Uh, the characters, Tom Servo, Crow, and their human c- companion, they're all going to get sucked into the comic book dimension, and they're going to be standing around uh, riffing on, making fun of uh, uh, pages taken from old comic books. I, lo- I love the concept. Mm-hmm. The framing sequences are going to be drawn by Todd Nock of Young Justice. Ah, oh, fantastic. And with uh, assist from Mike Manley. Uh, who was the uh, inker of the classic 90s Power of Shazam series, one of my favorite runs ever. And didn't Mike Manley do um, – did he do Superman Adventures penciling? Uh, hmm. This I, I do not recall. Hmm. Someone come to the forums there, press Mr. Weatherington, rescue us in that because I, I feel like – unless I'm thinking of another name, I feel like he did work uh, on the DC animated uh, comics as well. Uh, if so, it was wonderful. So we'll, we'll find out. Uh, let's see. Uh, page one eleven. Uh, I, I didn't read the floppies, but they're doing a hard. Uh, re- they're putting into hardcover form a comic about the, the uh, famous World War One spy Mata Hari, um, who, of course, as we know, was executed uh, by the French for, for, for apparently her role as a spy for Imperial Germany in the First World War. Um, Mata Hari was a fascinating figure. She was a very famous uh, sort of what you call, I guess, an exotic dancer of that time um, and, uh, you know, had the, the attention of many, of many men, uh, some of whom were quite influential and powerful uh-huh. in that p- period. So this, this, this might be an interesting book to read, certainly for me at least. So that's coming on the hardcover, page 111. What else, brother? Oh, well, let's just turn the page here to page 112 and 113. Um, something called War Bears. It's a three-issue miniseries, and it appears to it, – it, it's built on much the same premise as uh, Michael Chabon's novel, The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. 
And it, it sort of asked the question, what if The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay had been set in Toronto instead of New York? And further, what if it had been written by Margaret Atwood? A novelist uh, at least as highly esteemed as Shabon himself had written it. And that's exactly what's happening here because Margaret Atwood of The Handmaid's Tale uh, is writing this three-issue uh, exploration of the Canadian golden age of comics. Follows uh, the uh, the fortunes of a, a creator named Al Zurakowski who's trying to make a name for himself in comics around the time of the Second World War and uh, how his dreams are dashed by the uh, rise of American comics in the wake of that war. And it, it, it's uh, interspersed with images of his uh, his flagship character, the uh, female ursine, you know, well, bear-like, of uh, the superheroine Orsonette. Yeah, so, and this is hmm, it's, it's quite an interesting uh, occurrence here that Margaret Atwood is now uh, venturing into comic books. Fascinating concept. I, I'm probably going to give this a shot. Uh, I, I love I love the I love the uh, premise of it. So thanks, bro. I missed that. Thanks for bringing that to my attention. Oh, anytime. That's uh, that's why uh, we're doing this, Chris. Yep. <laughs> Indeed. I wanted to point out on page one sixteen. Look at this page. Ah, oh, it's all Black Hammer. So much lemuriness. Yes, Age of Doom is the latest uh, sort of volume in the Black Hammer saga. Uh, Black Hammer is an Eisner winner. Uh, We've talked about this many times in previous episodes, but once again, to me, this is one of the best superhero comics being produced today. It's sort of a uh, let's call it a deconstruction of of golden age type heroes. Uh, you know, in a, a more uh, edgy view of that of that type of hero. It's magnificent. And next to that, we have the Quantum Age, which is a uh, subsidiary of, of the main Black Hammer storyline. I, I just got issue one of that today. Uh, yesterday, I was to give that a read. But if you love, uh, if you love classic, you know, golden age type concepts, but you, and you're, you're not afraid to see them get their hands a little dirty, please do yourself a favor and try Black Hammer. Awesome. If you're a fan of Legion of Superheroes too, pay special attention to the Quantum Age because that specifically is what Lemire is riffing on in that miniseries. Murd outstanding, or ongoing, I should say. It, it does say that mm. the Quantum Age is ongoing. Wow, so. Plenty of uh, ah. Legion stories, uh, according to Lemire. It's a Lemiracle. <laughs> you heard that first, ladies and gentlemen. He can do that with a straight face and make it sound awe-inspiring and epic. <laughs> well done. What else, brother, from Dark Horse? Um, let me take a quick step back here from the Lemire page. Mm -hmm. um, actually, the things on both 114 and 115 look kind of good to me. Uh, on page 114, this is a Rick Remender concept uh, written by him with art by Eric Nguyen. Uh, it's called Gigantic. Uh, this is a library edition hardcover uh, of a concept called uh, Gigantic. It's, uh, it's this kind of kaiju influence. It's about a giant armored alien superhero um, who has come to Earth and has been sub almost immediately enslaved by uh, evil reality show producers uh, who are making an unauthorized uh, Truman Show-type uh, ongoing documentary of his life and adventures without his consent. So there's a couple of uh, fairly up-to-date contemporary concepts that uh, Remender is throwing together into the Remender blender uh, to give us this... <laughs> This is this interesting-sounding story. Uh, I'm not going to buy it in hardcover, of course, but it's something I'd like to maybe check out in a less expensive format later on. And opposite that, uh, the return of uh, Ulysses Farinas uh, to comics, uh, bringing back his concept Gamma, which is uh, sort of an, 
a mature reader's riff on the idea of Pokemon, a world full of these magical and scarily powerful little monsters that can be captured and trained and abused and exploited in all kinds of entertaining ways. Um, so he's, he's showing us something like what would happen if uh, adults rather than uh, idealistic little 12-year-olds like Ash Ketchum were running around uh, in the world of Pokemon. And he's also taking a poke, no pun intended, at a couple of other <laughs> Japanese uh, entertainment uh, concepts, uh, properties, and genres, uh, you know, such as uh, you know, the Super Sentai, Power Rangers, Kaiju Monsters, stuff like that. He's throwing them all together into this four-issue miniseries uh, of a concept that he introduced, I, I think, in Dark Horse Presents a while ago or possibly in a one-shot unto itself. Uh, but anyway, I like uh, Farinas's artwork. It's uh, you know it's it, 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 it's Japanese influences are obvious, but it, uh, it, it it's taken to a different level of detail. You know, sort of Jeff Darrow esque. Uh, so that that is something that I will be buying and reading certainly because I I've, I've always thought that there was room for some more mature readers uh, oriented takes on Pokemon, and that's exactly what uh, Farinas is trying to give us. And Murd, let it never be said that you don't love your kaiju. Indeed, not. Indeed. All right. Uh, let's see. It looks like Dark Horse um, is dabbling in some Disney stuff. Indeed. Uh, page 119, they've got the second issue of their uh, Incredibles 2 uh, tie-in. Um, oh, actually, it's the third issue. Uh, and then they've got a uh, Frozen comic on page 120, and on page 121, some of these uh, uh, European-produced um, uh, Disney comics, uh, adaptations of classics of uh, literature, uh, uh, Treasure Island and Moby Dick uh, with Disney characters. Those are being presented to an American audience, courtesy of Dark Horse. So Disney is spreading those licenses around to a few different publishers. Page 122, Joe Golan, The Drowning City. Uh, Mike Mignola writing, Chris Golden uh, writing, Peter Bergting art. Uh, have you ever read any of these stories? Joe Golem? Yeah. Hmm. Trying to, I, yeah, I don't think I have, Chris. I, I think I've thought about buying a couple of the earlier miniseries, but I, I don't. I don't know that I actually pulled the trigger on them. Okay, because the, uh, the concept sounds right up my alley. Uh, you know, occult detective, so you can maybe have elements of the supernatural, and also crime noir. So, and it's Mike Mignolia writing hmm, with yeah. Chris Golden, so I'm sure it's a lot of fun. By the way, quick aside. Speaking of uh, noir, have you ever read? Have, have you ever read Dashiell Hammett novels? I have not. Okay, I, I just I just I'm almost done reading the Red Harvest, and I read the Maltese Falcon a couple of years ago. Uh, wow, tremendous stuff! Um, now I understand where the classic Coen Brothers film, The Miller, Miller's Crossing, came from. Mm. But good stuff. Yeah, right Still aside there. I'm wishing Jamie D were here to bat that back and forth with you, Chris, because I, I think he's probably read or had probably indeed read a little of that. Uh, on page 126, um, I don't know if you guys mentioned this in the last episode, but uh, in the last previews episode, but uh, there's a new uh, Beasts of Burden miniseries out. This is Evan... We did not, sir, so hold forth. Oh, happy to, because uh, I, I do want to mention it, because this is one thing that I have shouted out on previous previews episodes that I've heard several of our listeners say that they're glad that I mentioned, that, 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 I, that I introduced this to them. Um, but uh, it's called Beasts of Burden, and it's the story of a group of uh, local dogs uh, with occasional assistance from uh, special operatives from other species uh, who have taken it upon themselves to form this little uh, supernatural protection society uh, where they battle occult threats uh, to their hometown of Burden Hill. 
So they're they're dog ghostbusters. <laughs> and uh, in this miniseries, Wise Dogs and Eldritch Men, uh, the second issue of which will be on sale in September, uh, these dogs are uh, starting to come closer to the root of these mysterious supernatural disturbances that keep plaguing their sleepy little town. And apparently they go up against super creepy raccoons with human faces. <laughs> Uh, the art for these burden, beasts of burden stories usually comes from Jill Thompson uh, of uh, Sandman and Scary Godmother, but uh, this one is being drawn by one Benjamin Dewey. Uh, either way, it's uh, if, if you happen to be an animal lover and also like a romping good uh, tale of the forces of good and uh, mundanity versus the supernatural, um, <laughs> give this a try. It's, it, it's pretty charming stuff. All right. I'm on page 130. Uh, I, I have to mention this every month because it's so damn good. Uh, World of Tanks Citadel, uh, which is the code name for the German offensive that we know t- historically know today as the Battle of Kursk in 1943 in the Eastern Front, World War II. I just read the, the third issue, I guess, yesterday, the fourth. I don't remember which, but uh, again, these are top-notch war comics that Ennis is producing here uh, with artist uh, P.J. Holden. Uh, th- again, he, wonderful balance of. Top-notch historical authenticity, the detail, the research, but never sacrificing character development and, and, and a com- making a compelling, dramatic story. Uh, if you want to read a great war comic uh, or you've never read Ennis' war comics, this is a great place to start right here. What else, my friend, from Dark Horse? Um, well, Chris, did you notice on page 132 that Brian Wood is writing a Terminator miniseries? No, I totally missed that. Yep, it's a second issue out in September, it looks like. Ah. NYPD officer Lucy Castro has been hunted by the T-800 and seeks protection from a local crime boss in order to survive the night. Will it be enough? It's Brian Wood. I mean, I'm sure it's great. <laughs> I'm going to have to grab that. Good, good catch, Murd. Oh. I'm here for you, man. Uh, always. Yep. Wow. I think that was the last thing I wanted to mention for Dark Horse. All right, let's move on then to DC. So that's the most time we've devoted to the Dark Horse section of the book in many a month. So, it's- well, it's great company, and I'm glad we can devote as much time as we can to it. Here, here. All right, so we now we have the. I assume you have your separate DC previews catalog in front of you, brother. Yep, I have it here in hand. All right. So the first page of Wonder Woman Earth One Volume Two by uh, Grant Morrison and Yannick Paquette. Did you read Volume 1? I did. Okay. What did you think of it? I don't remember. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> I'm struggling to remember myself. Uh, I remember thinking there, a couple of uh, Morrison's creative decisions irked me a little bit. Uh, well, for – I don't know if I wanted – I don't remember how much I said about it at the time. But it's something pertaining to her origin where uh, Morrison cleaved a little too close to the current DC Universe company line. And I was a little upset about that. But it, uh, th- th- there were some fun things that he decided to include in his version of Wonder Woman's past. Uh, Etta Candy was there. The Kangas were there. Um, and I-, I was looking forward to what he might uh, choose to do with uh, his version of Wonder Woman's reality in the future. And it seems the time has come to find out. But not quite yet for me because I'm waiting until the trade paperback version arrives. So this- this is Fair the- enough. But yeah, I will definitely get the, the-, the paperback version when it's available. Now, the big to-do here, and I say that without sarcasm because of who's writing it, is on page three. Heroes in Crisis number one. Now, here's all that matters for me. It's written by Tom King. Mm 
Now, Tom King could be producing his interpretation of you know his grocery list, uh-huh. <laughs> and at this point, I have such faith in him as a writer that I would I would buy that list and read it. So apparently, he's doing a, a big DC event. This this is his first big DC event they have him doing, and I have absolute faith in this. So. There's a new kind of crisis threatening the heroes of the DC Universe, ripped from real-world headlines by C-operative comics writer Tom King. How does a superhero handle PTSD? Welcome to Sanctuary, an ultra-secret hospital for superheroes who have been traumatized by crime-fighting cosmic combat. But something goes inexplicably wrong when many patients wind up dead with two unknown operators as the prime suspects. Harley Quinn and Booster Gold. Shane, are you listening? <laughs> Shauna, are you listening? Indeed. Through the DC trinity of Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman to investigate. Oh, wow. Oh! Yeah, that is quite a concept. I mean, not only is this an exploration of the uh, psychological impact of, uh, of superhero activity on its practitioners, which has got some you know, undeniable parallels with uh, the, uh, the damage done to the psyches of real-world heroes. You know, as, as Tom, as the copy tells us, he used to work for the CIA. He's seen this firsthand, and he can draw Indeed. on that experience uh, for the writing of this story. So not only is there that, which is worthy in itself, but also Tom manages to weave in a uh, quality superhero murder mystery. So this 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 is indeed a different kind of crisis. It's 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 not an intimate an infinite crisis so much as it is an intimate crisis. It takes things down to the personal level. You know, there will be some exploration of the relationships of trust between the various heroes, especially those who have been made most vulnerable by the uh, psychological injuries they sustained in the line of duty um, but yeah there's there's also you know there's, there's some continuity considerations uh, some fan favorite characters thrown into the spotlight it, it's really more a crisis in the sense of Melter's identity crisis than it is like one of the cosmic continuity reshuffling crises that I've made my specialty uh, even if it's not that kind of crisis though it's a kind of crisis that I want to read especially as you have said Chris because it's written by Tom who is fantastic so yeah now Art by Clay Mann. The cover looks beautiful. Uh, and I should point out, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know about you, but didn't you get that, that jolt of electricity up the spine when Murd started holding forth on the concept of crisis in the DC universe? Ah, <laughs> oh, Murd, I was counting on that. Oh, happy to give you that little spark, Chris. <laughs> and just yes, to excite indeed. everyone even further, Heroes in Crisis number one is 50% off on DCBService.com. So you can try the first issue at uh, a good discount and find out what you think. And it's on sale September 26th. I'm wow! I'm really looking forward to this. I mean, Tom. Uh, I mean, Tom is a long-standing friend of the show. He's been on the show a couple times years back. Um, I, I'm hoping we can get him on again someday. I'd love to do a good interview with him. Um, but I, I have complete faith this is going to be a real page turner. So, the next page, a new DC imprint entitled Black Label. Bring edgy and provocative standalone stories to the legends of Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and more. So who better to start this than Brian Azzarello writing Batman Damned, number one. Hmm. Prestige format, Murd. Yep, three-issue series. The first line of solicitation, the Joker is dead. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> but whether the Batman finally snapped a scorny neck or some other sinister force in Gotham City did, the death, the dead is still a mystery. Problem is the Batman can't remember, and the more he digs into this labyrinthian case, the more his mind starts to doubt everything he's uncovering. Uh, this is this is Azarello. I'm sure it's going to be riveting. Artwork looks gorgeous by Lee Bermejo. 
Ooh, looks like John Constantine is going to be involved too. Oh yeah, look at that murder. Well, and the dead and dead man. Oh yeah, well done. Uh, I'll definitely give that a read. Auspicious beginning for the new Black Label imprint. Kind of looks it reminds me a little of the Marvel Max thing that Marvel did uh, beginning of the last decade. You know, just uh, creator owned continuity. Well, not not necessarily creator owned, but uh, creator focus is what I meant to say. Uh, continuity free, much more mature reader oriented takes on established characters. Indeed. Well, I could definitely give that a shot. Uh, I'm looking on page. Eight uh, Doomsday Clock. We haven't talked about the last couple issues of that. Um, you, are, you, are you reading that Curly Murdy, or is it back in the pile now? It's back in the pile. Okay. Uh, I, I'm still enjoying it. We can talk about that when we have Shane on next time. We'll talk about that further without spoiling it too much for Murd. Oh, I could just go in the next room and hold my ears too. That's perfect. Isn't he swell? Well. Isn't he swell, gang? What a team player. <laughs> All right, uh, Vertigo. So we've got the on page ten. ten we've got the Dreaming number one. There was a there was an, an original comic called The Dreaming, wasn't there? Some years back, I'm pretty sure I've got the first issue of it. Yeah, it was a story okay. about uh, Mervyn Pumpkinhead. I want to say okay. T- I want to say Terry LeBan was it? Or I, might be, I might be thinking of something else too. All right, so they're bringing back the concept. All right, that's um, that's three ninety nine on September fifth. Uh, House of Whispers, written by Nalo Hopkinson, art by Dominique Domo Stanton on page eleven. This is also part of uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman universe. The House of uh, – I'm going to mispronounce it. I apologize. Dahomey Dah, Murd? Dahomey? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Dahomey, yeah. Okay. The houseboat of Azruli Freda, where the souls of voodoo followers go when they sleep to beseech the flirtatious and tragic goddess to grant them their harsh desires and counsel them on their futures and fortunes. It seems like DC uh, – because last month they they were – they launched a new Sandman series where Gaiman will have a role in that. It looks like they're trying to, uh, you know, return to that legendary portion of the DC universe here. On page twelve, again, Murd mentioned the Jinx world. So, you know, Bendis is, is over at DC. So now they're printing all of his um, creator-owned properties: United States versus Murd Incorporated, number one. Uh, this is a series that. I read years, some years back where it was about the mafia having control over large parts of the United States and the intrigue that followed therein with some of the characters, uh, and this is, looks like a sequel to it. I really enjoyed the original arc, so I, I may give this a shot. It's, it's, it's the classic powers team, Bendis and Oming, so that's something to be, something to be said for that. Oh, absolutely. Now, I have not read… Man of Steel 1. Mr. Deemer praised it on our last Comic Talk episode. Yep, and uh, Peter Rios has subsequently told me that there something happened in the early going of that miniseries on which I might have thoughts, in his words. So <laughs> I'm, I'm curious to see what that is. And again, I got uh, – issue number two, I believe, is the one that's penciled by Doc Shaner, which has his take on the Toy Man, classic Superman villain. So yeah, I'd want to read those first two issues at least. And Peter kindly offered to let me read his digital copies, but I don't read digital comics. So <laughs> thanks, Peter. But yeah, I'll find those someplace in, on paper. Good old Petey Poo. Um, and Bendis is writing action comics. I, I, I've not read anything. I've read action comics uh, 1,000 parts of that. Enjoyed it. Have read Man of Steel, although I have at least the first two, so I have to get to those. We can talk about them in the future. 
I'm excited, though, on page 14 and 15, the Sick Atlantis storyline, uh, which continues in Suicide Squad 46 and Aquaman 40. I, I, I mentioned ad nauseum on the show uh, how much I'm really enjoying Abnett's take on the world of Aquaman. He's really emphasizing the, the, the politics, the intrigue uh, of Atlantis and, and you know the, the throne and, and all that goes with that. So if, if you enjoy Aquaman and you haven't tried Abnett's run on, on the character, I highly recommend it. And again, I'm just seeing some of the information about the forthcoming Aquaman film, which is coming out later this year. I'm hoping, based on what I've read and what, what the images I've seen, that they're going to approach Aquaman and the movie this way in the sense they're really going to emphasize his ties to the throne and, and the politics of, of Atlantis. So, but this is good stuff. Murder, are you reading Super Sons? Are you, are you going to read Adventures of the Super Sons? Uh, I picked up one or two issues along the line. Uh, the Peter Tomasi is a pretty solid, you know, meat and potatoes kind of superhero writer. Um, but yeah, the, the characters don't interest me all that much. I have to admit. Well, fair enough. Page eighteen. We have Batman by Tom King again. One of the great, for me, one of the great defining arcs for the character in recent years. Uh, again, I'm reading the series in trade. Um, although I did just get the wedding issue, I'm going to probably cheat and read that one. Uh, soon, so I can talk about it on the air with at, at least with Shane because I'm sure he'll have read it. So it's so reassuring on page twenty to see Kelly Jones Batman with those long ears <laughs> projecting from the cowl. Yes, I think Matt is somewhere. He's grunting in pain right now. <laughs> he hates the Longhorn yeah. Batman. I, I know he does. Uh, oh, I love that Doug Monk Kelly Jones era. Those are really fun stories. Mm-hmm. That's when I first uh, read a, a Batman comic. Was during that period. All right, page twenty-four. Uh, I have to praise Priest Deathstroke every month. It's outstanding, um, and this is, is, is still including Batman. The, the current the current run of Deathstroke is all about. Uh, it's a gripping story as to whether who was the actual father of, of Damien. Slade or Bruce, and and I don't want to spoil anything because I'm still reading this. It's not done yet, but uh, as only priests can tell it, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Good stuff. I didn't realize we're on page 25 that James Robinson's writing Detective Comics. Oh yes, it's a little guest arc here, um, featuring Two Face. Um, yeah, uh, I, I do find I may have mentioned this. I'm sure I have sometime in the last. Uh, 13 years. Uh, but uh, for me, I, I, I like Batman's villains. They're almost more interesting to me nowadays than Batman himself is. So I tend to base uh, whether – well, except in the case of Tom King's room, which I'm just reading because it's freaking excellent, whoever the antagonists happen to be. But a lot of the rest of the time, I choose which Batman stories I'm going to buy and read based on which villains he's facing off against. And this James Robinson written arc, uh, we've got uh, Tweedledee and Tweedledum. <laughs> and uh, not one, but two different versions of Firefly, plus Two-Face himself, you know, just to double your pleasure and double your fun. And on top of all that, Robinson is writing it. So, yeah, yeah, th- this arc will definitely get my money. It'll get my legal tender as well because, because James Robinson's writing it. So, amen to that. I'm sure I want to mention on page 27, the Benson sisters continue uh, their new run on Green Arrow. Yep, fighting off against a vigilante with an even stronger and more obnoxious social conscience than Ollie's himself, except he named Citizen. <laughs> and no, hats off to Julie and Shauna for using not only Black Canary, but Kate Spencer, alias Manhunter, as members of Ollie's supporting cast. 
You know, I never read the Kate Spencer Manhunter series. I've heard a lot of good things about it. I have most of her run from the mid-2000s. I haven't quite read up to it yet, but uh, okay, I've I've obviously saw merit in it or I wouldn't have bought as many issues of it as I did. Well, I look forward to that that time bubble one day, my friend. Okay, I look forward to bringing it to you, Chris. Amen, brother. All right, so who else we got here? What else did you want to shout out from the, the superhero section of DC here? Uh, well, let's see. Page 30, um, this new Hawkman series uh, written by Robert Venditti with art by Brian Hitch. Um, it's uh, bringing us – it's starting to bring the Thanagarian Hawkman, Katar Hall, back into the mix. Like we're going to have Carter Hall and Katar Hall uh, facing off against each other. It, it's a little ambiguous as to whether they'll literally meet each other or they'll meet on the spirit plane or something. But it's it's something that's been a long time in coming. Since uh, the Thanagarian Hawkman has been pretty strongly de-emphasized ever since uh, Jeff Johns engineered the resurrection of the Carter Hall version of the character. So uh, that, that's going to be addressed now uh, here in the uh, New 52 slash Rebirth era. And I salute any writer who tries to throw their hat in the ring when it comes to dealing with uh, Hawkman's labyrinthine history. <laughs> so now if I remember correctly, in the Jeff Johns run, which I loved – did they establish that Katar Hall was was sort of one of the aspects of Carter Hall's history as Hawkman, essentially? Is that how they handled it, or he kind of got sucked into um, Carter Hall's uh, legacy of reincarnation? Like uh, he, okay. he he died, and he's uh, some bit of his soul was trapped within Carter Hall's essence. I've, I haven't read all the way through John's run on Hawkman. I just I just got up to the uh, Hawkman JSA crossover Black Rain recently. Oh, it's fantastic. Mm, yep, it's good stuff so far. I've read the first three parts, I think. Um, but uh, I've seen the part where Shaira Thal, the Thanagarian hawk woman, came to St. Rock trying to get answers about what happened to uh, her partner uh, from Thanagar and uh, not really getting much of anything concrete, although she did uh, wing away from St. Rock feeling – Something akin to closure, like no, somehow she was convinced that uh, Katar Hall of Thanagar was in a better place. Uh, but he he didn't really come back, and she didn't really find him. And I want to re- remind uh, listeners, uh, I don't have the, I don't have the episode number in front of me, but uh, Peter Rios several years ago, I think it was right around Christmas time. It was, it was meant as a, as a Christmas gift for the listeners, helmed a magnificent spotlight on Hawkman. Um, were you on that one, Bird? Uh, trying to recall, I'm not sure that I was, but the, the episode okay. number is 989, and it was recorded uh, – oh, it was released on Christmas Eve 2010. There you go. And uh, an Peter does a wonderful job sort of taking uh, us through the, the very convoluted history of Hawkman, and uh, I, I highly recommend it uh, because he does – it's really it's, – it's, it's, it's one of the best spotlights the show has ever produced. The fact that it was really uh, so close to Christmas time makes me think I might not have been able to be on it. But that, that's that's a good point. I, it might have been Pants and Shane. Now that I think about it, um, but definitely check that check that spotlight out. Um, he talks about the classic Hawkworld miniseries by Tim Truman, which is wonderful, mm-hmm. and that's where sort of the Katar Hall and, and the Shaira character they, they come out of that. Um, well, the post-crisis so, versions of them do anyway, and it kind they, of threw- exactly. Yeah, I, I, I misspoke there. Um, so. Yeah, that that's that's a CGS classic. All right, what else we got here, brother? Let's see, page 34. We've got a continuing story of uh, the Scott Snyder written Justice League versus the Legion of Doom. 
as opposed to the injustice gang of the world. Legion of Doom is now uh, once again, you know, for, I don't know, maybe the third time, something like that, introduced to DC continuity. So, you know, all you old school Super Friends fans should be paying attention to that. It's written by Scott Snyder. Can't be bad. Um, page 38, we've got the final issue of the Mr. Miracle Maxi series. Oh. I'll just let you God. let you groan away about that, Chris. <laughs> uh, I, I, I can't help but have these uh, verbal outbursts of just sheer comic reading euphoria. When, when I mean, this, again, this is Tom King, uh, Mitch Durads. It's again, I'm so glad this is a finite series, just like he did with the Vision. He, he's 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 visiting, uh, or not? I not visiting, but he, he's. Presenting us a, a time-honored, you know, character's been around for for decades now, but he's putting an interesting new spin on the character without sacrificing any of that character's history, which is always the mark of a great comic scribe. Um, either hunt down the back, never is going to be a trade or a hardcover of this, and if it's a hardcover, it is worth paying every penny for. One of the best series DC's producing right now. All right, what else, brother? Um, right, next thing I've got is on page 47, where uh, Scooby-Doo team-up number 42 has got the gorillas. Oh, Jamie D., this is for you, brother. Yeah. Enough said. Which, now, it's, what is it, Gorilla Grodd? Um, as many different DC Comics gorilla-themed characters as writer Sholly Fish can think of. We'll just throw them all <laughs> in there. I mean, it says here, uh, Mashumala, Gorilla Grodd, and Ultra Humanite, who did occupy the body of a mutant white ape for a time, after all. But also, on the hero side, Kongorilla, Sam Simeon of Angel and the Ape, and Detective Chimp. And we can see there's a Nazi gorilla on the uh, front cover, too. So I'm just, just going to note that. You've got a gorilla with a German iron cross on his breast, on a breastplate, and he's wearing an old uh, World War One era German uh, spiked helmet. What's who is this character? <laughs> Maybe he's more a Prussian gorilla than a Nazi gorilla. <laughs> I don't know. He's, <laughs> the Hun, anyway. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm not. I, I think there was actually a, a Nazi gorilla at some point back in DC's golden age, but I, I can't be sure exactly where from. But uh, Shally Fish likes to include uh, a bunch of deep cuts in these Scooby Doo team up issues. It's one of the things that makes it such an enjoyable series. Indeed. And that series, it's up to issue 42. It's, been, it's, it's sticking around, which is great. Yeah, it was bi-monthly for a while there, so it, it's, yeah. it gives you an idea just what a long lifespan it really has had. All right, anything else from the superhero section of DC, my friend? Um, not as far as ongoings go, no. All right. Let's take a look at trades. So we have Batman on page 63, Batman Volume 7, The Wedding. So issue 50 just came out. Which is the actual wedding, which I have not read yet. I'll make sure I have it read before uh, next time Shane is on. That's on page sixty-three. Uh, again, I'm because I came late, to the, very late to this part. I'm reading Tom King's run on Batman in trade. We talked in an earlier episode how how I think he's committed to writing the book for issues for a hundred issues, if I remember correctly, um, which is damn good news. So we have, we have a, you know several more years of Tom King goodness to go on Batman. Well, if you've if you got to scratch that 90s itch on page 65, Batman Night Quest, The Crusade, Volume 2. What would you think of that material, Murd? Uh, much of it I haven't read, Chris. I mean I wasn't okay. uh, really 100 percent into DC Comics yet at that time, although I certainly did buy uh, 
uh, Batman number 500, which, you know, the big foil stamped cover introducing as bats. Um, yeah, this, this would be something to, to ask Matt about. Um, I was a little disturbed by the Osriel Batman, but I, I think even then I realized this probably wouldn't be a permanent change. Indeed. But yeah, they, they milked that concept for what it was worth. They didn't overmilk it, I don't think. And then they just kind of shuffled it off the center stage and brought Bruce Wayne back and all was well again. But yet it's, it's fondly remembered by 90s kids. And I know there's at Indeed. least one or two people who have – I want to say Brent Cassina, our friend Ian's uh, co- occasional co-host of his podcast, Comic Timing, uh, was a big fan of, of Osriel and Ozbats. I enjoyed uh, the Denny O'Neill Azrael series. I followed that for a while. I, I got a, a beautiful Barry Kitson art, if I remember correctly. Uh, page 67, I've heard a lot of great things about the story, so I may get this trade because I, I didn't read the individual issues. Is Batman White Knight by written and drawn by Sean Murphy. Uh, Sean Murphy's been to super shows, hasn't he? Um, that I do not recall. I, I want to say yes. After years of epic battles, the Dark Knight finally finds a way to cure the twisted mind of his archenemy, the Joker. The Joker is now sane. The clown prince of crime has now changed his ways, fighting for good in Gotham City, and it may just cause Batman to go over the edge of his own sanity. So I think this, like, the whole concept here is like it's a flip, where, where, where suddenly the Joker is, is a benevolent character, and uh, Batman might be more nefarious. Hmm. So I, I'm going to definitely pick up this trade and see what all the hullabaloo is about. I like Sean Murphy's work in general. Uh, this, is, this is under the DC Black Label imprint. So Retroactively. Indeed. All right, on page 71, I always like to point these out. Flash, the Silver Age Omnibus, Volume 1. A l- l- beautiful cover, great retro cover for The Flash by Nick Darrington. Uh, this is Showcase 4, 8, 13, 14. Of course, the classic Showcase 4, the, the first appearance of the Silver Age uh, Flash. And the Flash Comics 104 and the Flash 105 to 132. $100, $99.99. Hmm. 864 pages. Volume 1 hardcover. This is any other trades I wanted to shout out here. Oh, on page 74. Hellblazer 30th Anniversary Edition hardcover. Some of the greatest hits from the Hellblazer's history. Saga of the Swamp Thing 37, his first appearance. Hellblazer's 11, 27, 41, 63, 120, 146, 229, and 240. An introduction by Sting. These whose appearance things. inspired the creation of Constantine. Huh. And includes it the first ever, this is interesting, complete lineup of Constantine's life up through his long-running Vertigo series. Issue 27 is the classic story Holding by Neil Gaiman it's, and um, Dave McKean, one of the greatest single-issue comics I've ever read. Oh, it's magnificent. Murray, look at this. This is a story we both enjoyed on page 75. The Dark Side War, the Essential Edition. They're publishing the whole thing. Yeah, in the essential format. Yeah, that's yeah. it's uh, it's the Anti Monitor, it's the Crime Syndicate, it's Darkseid and the Justice League, and it's all drawn. Um, oh, just take a look at some of the the names listed here: Jason Fabok, Jim Lee, Francis Manipal, Phil Jimenez, Scott Collins, and others. Not a stinker in the bunch. No, did you? Did you? I'm sorry. Did you read the story? I shouldn't have assumed that. Um, well, I. I read the first couple of issues, and then I just I, – I couldn't bring myself to read the rest. I, I want to preserve the surprise. Fair enough. I won't say a word then, but all I'll say is I, I know Shane and I both thoroughly enjoyed this. So I look forward to talking about that with you down the road. In the, it, 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 we'll talk about it in time. <laughs> Precisely the right inflection, Chris. Well done. 
Honored brother. Uh, page 80, the 30th anniversary of Volume 1 Sandman, Preludes and Nocturnes. It's been 30 years! Huh. God. Bird, we're all getting older. Mm. Yep, there's nothing for it. It is inevitable. <laughs> and if you love the Super Sons, at page 82, you can buy a whole Super Sons omnibus. So there you go. Wow, 608 pages of it. Murd, page 84. You got. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I got excited seeing this. This is all you, brother. Mm-hmm. Well, Hold Ian, forth. Yep, Ian Levenstein went out of his way to let me know about this on Facebook. It's uh, Okay, so DC is finally reprinting some a Golden Age classic. It's not technically a DC story. It was a Fawcett story. But it's uh, the uh, Shazam, or the original Captain Marvel, the Monster Society of Evil. It's being published in a uh, deluxe edition hardcover. Um, for fifty dollars, uh, two hundred and seventy-two pages. Um, this was really a, a golden age milestone. It was kind of revolutionary. It's it, this was a a story that was serialized across twenty-four issues of uh, the monthly Captain Marvel Adventures. Well, actually, it was probably more. It might have been published more often than monthly at that time. But Captain Marvel Adventures number 22 through 46, this uh, single story ran. It was like a long-running film serial, kind of like the uh, young readers would have been accustomed to seeing at uh, their local uh, movie palaces on Saturday afternoon. Just look at the artwork here. This is like the title splash from the first chapter, and it's it's even styled like a a film matinee serial thing. There's... You know, with uh, the the title card projected up on a screen and uh, young viewers down below looking up and cheering, but it's it's Captain Marvel and friends versus that uh, the world's wickedest worm, Mister Mind, um, who's uh, kind of a mystery man when he first appears. We don't know that he's just a telepathic worm until. Um, well, actually, his telepathic powers haven't even been established yet. He's just a worm with a, a keen criminal intellect who speaks through an old-fashioned loudspeaker strapped around his neck. Um, and uh, he recruits all these uh, previously seen Captain Marvel bad guys, including Dr. Sivana himself, and rounds them all up into his monster society of evil. And Captain Marvel has to battle them one at a time or two or three at a time. Finally, gets to the bottom of uh, the person who's behind all of this uh, on when he meets Mr. Mind on his asteroid in outer space. And then the story proceeds back to Earth with Captain Marvel just chasing Mr. Mind, who is a breakout character and a big success with the readership by that time all on his own, uh, around planet Earth. And so th- this went on for... <laughs> Like 24 issues, of, and this was unheard of in the Golden Age when it was rare enough oh, to yeah. find like a, a story that was continued uh, from one issue to another. It was rare enough to find a two-part story in the Golden Age, let alone one that ran for 24 or 25 chapters. Uh, yeah, new chapter every third Friday. There it is. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very historically important story, and it's pretty entertaining. I mean, it doesn't... It holds up better than a lot of Golden Age material in the present day, I will say that. It was written by the definitive Captain Marvel writer, Otto Binder, who wrote the great majority of the Captain Marvel stuff of the Golden Age. Art by C.C. Beck, the co-creator of Captain Marvel, and his uh, right-hand man, Pete Costanza. And uh, there's been one collection of this. It was put out back in the 80s sometime by some historical library-type publisher. Um, But now DC is uh, putting out their own uh, keepsake bookshelf version of it. And uh, if you're any kind of fan of Golden Age comics um, and of Captain Marvel in particular, you you got to have this on your shelf. Well, and I also want to refer our listeners to the string of magnificent spotlights uh, Murd helmed on uh, Captain Marvel and the Golden Age where he goes into the significance of this book in even greater detail. 
So yes, thank you, Chris, for that for that nod. Also, yeah, it's it's of course it's it's it, 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 it's it's a real milestone and indeed. Ready to move on, IDW, my friend? As you say, sir. Let us press on. All right. I want to point out one thing, though. I'm back in the regular previous catalog uh, for those keeping score at home. Page 144. This, I'm saying this primarily for Shane. Right. You got the Batman classic TV series Bruce Wayne and Batphone Resin Busts. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so, you know, it's tremendous. So you got the Adam West likeness of, of Bruce Wayne on the phone. The best part of this for me, though, is he's wearing an ascot. <laughs> Oh, and the expression and, on his face is that look of arch intensity. Yes. Uh, Doesn't does get any better. Beautifully captured. All right, IDW. So great, some great license stuff here. Now I want to point out uh, they have on page 146 a trade uh, reprinting the wonderful – it came out it – was, it was a weekly book, a weekly miniseries, Star Trek Next Generation Through the Mirror by the Tipton Brothers who are the ace Star Trek writers in comics these days. They often work with our long-standing friend of the show, J.K. Woodward, and uh, J.K. does some of the covers here. Uh, this is a great story. It's where the, the Picard of, of sort of our universe meets the Picard of the Mirror universe, and you can only imagine what ensues there. Really fun story. I highly recommend that. Now, Mer- we'll appreciate this because this, this kind of dovetails nicely out of our, our discussion of the, the retro fan Tomorrow's Magazine, our last uh, episode. Yep. Star Trek versus Transformers. And they're capturing the Star Trek characters in that animated style, right? Like which a, is appropriate considering they're meeting the Transformers. Yep, so it's like Filmation meets Sunbow. <laughs> <laughs> and you're absolutely right, Chris. This dovetails beautifully with uh, what our discussion of uh, Retro Fan Magazine number one because Andy Mangles, a comics historian Andy Mangles, who also uh, co-wrote the uh, Creating the Filmation Generation book about Lou Scheimer and his Filmation animated, Animation Studio, uh, he did uh, the first in a series of Saturday morning history essays about this 1970s Star Trek cartoon. And it uh, kind of whetted my appetite for some more uh, 70s animated Trek content. I mean, this Transformers and Star Trek are two cartoons that I watched and enjoyed as a young man in the 80s because uh, uh, Nickelodeon was airing the reruns of animated Star Trek back in those days. And uh, yeah, I think this is the first time I will have encountered uh, this version of the Star Trek characters in comics and uh, to see them teamed up with uh, animation-friendly Transformers characters, it's, it's quite a little nostalgia injection there. I don't think I'm going to be able to resist it. And the tagline is, a five-year mission meets a four-million-year war. Beautiful. Enough said. <laughs> All right, as always, uh, you got to give tip of the hat to W for sort of cornering the market on licenses. They got Transformers, slew of those, Ghostbusters, of course, GI Joe, and for Shane Mask. Look at this on page one fifty-two. Shane, this is for you. Mobile Armored Strike Command riding Venom's trail. Huh. Collects the Mask Revolution one-shot, all ten issues of the series, and the twenty seventeen annual. All right. And okay. Then, something fairly exciting coming up here then on page 154 and 155. All right. This is another one of these mashups that IDW has been executing so deftly over the past couple of years. Batman and the Mask uh, – Max, not Mask, but Max, M-A-X-X, uh, number one, subtitled Arkham Dreams. 
So this is a miniseries that teams up uh, Batman with uh, Sam Keith's creator-owned character, the Ma- Max. I keep wanting to say Mask, but it is not, <laughs> it is not that green-faced character played by Jim Carrey in a, a mid-90s movie. No, this is the Max as seen on MTV in animated form back in the 90s. Um, this is going to be drawn by creator of the Max, Sam Keith, uh, co-written by Keith and John Lehman of Chew. And uh, this... Uh, oh, wow, it's going to be a fantastically weird story. It's basically going to be uh, Sam Keith doing his own take on Grant Morrison's Arkham Asylum, a serious house on serious earth. Um, the Max is temporarily interned in Arkham Asylum, and some cr- uh, mad psychologist is doing his own uh, experiments on the uh, inmates there. And uh, their psychotic fantasies are becoming reality across Gotham City. Batman, of course, has to get involved. He finds an ally in the Max. And the two of them get to explore the mindscapes of various Batman villains as perceived and interpreted by Sam Keith. And uh, uh, internal odysseys of the mind has been sort of uh, Keith's uh, stock and trade, the various uh, comics that he's written and drawn over the years, in the Ma- including in the Max. So this is going to be a fantastic combination of characters with a great creative team. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing his take on people like Joker, Scarecrow, etc. And uh, what Batman and the, and the Max uh, do when they encounter you know, the... Uh, the, the dark, deviant uh, inner workings of their minds. Um, so, yeah, the first issue is uh, $4.99, and if you order it through dcpservice.com, you can get it 50% off $2.49. All right. I want to point on page 156, Dick Trace, Dead or Alive, written by Lee and Michael Allred. Art, Rich Tommaso, and Michael Allred. Wow. All right. Yeah, Dick That's Tracy. exciting. Yeah, coming back into the spotlight here. Yeah, and, with, and all reds got him. That's definitely worth a try. I wa- I'm going to jump ahead, Marvin. Let me know if you want to jump back to um, page 174. Uh, Batman the Complete Silver Age newspaper comics, the slipcase set. So that collects uh, newspapers, dailies, and Sunday strips from 1966 to 1972. Sheldon Maldov, uh, Joe Giella, and Carmen Infantino. Uh, st- strips by uh, written by Whitney Ellsworth. And below that, King of the Comics, 100 Years of King Feature Syndicate. Hmm. Crazy Cat, Popeye, Flash Gordon, Beetle Bailey. Good stuff. Hmm. And on page 178, a new uh, edition of From Hell, the classic by Alan Moore and Eddie Campbell. Their take on Death Jack the Ripper, fully colorized. This volume contains the prologue, chapters one and two, and all original annotations. Most important of all. 64 pages, seven ninety nine. Go ahead, sir. I'm sorry. 64 pages, seven ninety nine. Uh, anything else you want to do for my IDW? Um... Two things from the middle of the IDW section. Please, please. Um, well, IDW two is uh, getting it has uh, been publishing some Disney books. Um, you know, Dark Horse has got a few of them. Uh, Marvel has done some. Joe Books has some. Um, but I'm, in particular, on page uh, let's see, one sixty seven. Uh, 
Disney's Tsum Tsum Kingdom. And Tsum Tsums are these little sort of beanbag uh, toys with Disney characters' faces on them. Uh, Disney Channel has been running short subjects of these little Tsum Tsum characters capering around and getting into hijinks. Um, they're very popular with young children, and uh, as can be attested by... Uh, uh, Matt's uh, young daughter, Sophie. She's crazy about Tsum Tsums. Uh, so if you have a, a little girl or boy in your family who might enjoy uh, seeing some comic book adventures of the Tsum Tsums, uh, this is a 48-page special featuring their, uh, their adventures uh, written by uh, Jeremy Lambert and our friend Tom Zoller, who also brought us Love and Capes and uh, Time and Vine, you know, a story that uh, Pants and I both enjoyed very much. And he's also written a bunch of My Little Pony comics, which I enjoy. So... That's a, a mark of quality there. And on the facing page, uh, Tangled the series. You know, they've, they've uh, after the computer animated uh, feature film Tangled, which is Disney's take on Rapunzel, uh, the Disney Channel has started airing a uh, 2D animated uh, ongoing series based on those same characters, Rapunzel and Friends. And now uh, Rapunzel is coming to comics in a three issue miniseries written by Katie Cook. Boom. Boom indeed. So those are b- both worthy projects, especially if you've got younger readers in the family. And I did want to throw out a mention on page 171, uh, uh, what appears to be an all-ages uh, cosmic uh, adventure and intrigue kind of story, adventure and mystery, uh, with a young female protagonist. It's called Impossible Inc., and it's written by J.M. DeMatteis. So if you're wondering oh. what that particular master writer has been doing lately, that's what. Good. I missed that, Mert. Again, just clutch hitting. I love Demetrius's work. Sub me in in the bottom of the ninth, Chris. <laughs> Ready for Marvel? Excelsior. All right. Okay. Wow, what a shock. Wolverine's coming back. I never uh, saw it coming. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. That was a little snarky, but it, come it's, on. It's hard to be completely <laughs> cynicism-proof when you've been reading comics as long as we have, Chris. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's coming back. And if you want to know how, I mean, it's written by Charles Soule, art by Steve McNiven. It's probably not going to be a bad story. If you'd like oh, to read it, team. you can order it through dcbservice.com. The first issue is 50% off. I'm more excited. that We talked about this. Uh, Shane and I did about Fantastic Four returning. Mm. Uh, this issue, two years featured. Again, it's Dan Slott and Sarah Pacelli, so... Covered by Saad Ribic, I mean, whew. They are in great hands. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that immensely. Uh, page 9, I'll always praise Marvel 2 and 1. The wonderful uh, thing in Human Tour Stories by Chip Zdarsky. Uh, oh, tremendous series. I- I'm wondering if this – the way that the solicitation is written, I'm wondering if this is the last issue. I was kind of wondering that myself. Which would make sense because the, the FF is reformed by the mm-hmm. time this book has come out. But again, if, if you've been jonesing for FF the past few years, get this series. You will eat it up. Uh, wonderful. Plus it, plus it explores uh, the way the Doctor Doom character is, has changed so much. In a way. It's, it's rare you see a ca- character going through truly transformative changes, especially in the, the big two properties. But they're doing very interesting things with Victor Von Doom. And they explore that further in Marvel 2 and 1. Is this a new Eliopolis Franklin Richards on page uh, 8, Mert, or is that a reprint? Uh, no, it's, it's a reprint. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's reprinting from several sources, yeah. Great stuff, though, for kids. I remember my younger son, Joe, when he was younger, he ate up the Franklin Richards stories. Those are really fun. Mert, on page 10, that's a hell of a Thanos there. I like this art by Brian Level. Mm. 
Yep. Continuation of uh, Donny Cates' acclaimed run on Thanos that, again, you and I skipped, <laughs> perhaps to our regret. Uh, I, I do have – again, that was a financial decision more than anything else, but um, – I may have to go to the trade on that because I love the Thanos character and, and I know people on the forums and other words have been pra- and other words and other words, other places have been praising that. So to check that out. As Guardians of the Galaxy on page twelve. Yeah, that that looks that that looks very good, actually. Um so it's a special uh a special strike force of uh, second-tier Asgardian characters off on a cosmic adventure. Uh, we've got uh, <laughs> uh, Image Comics import Angela, who is revealed to be uh, Thor's illegitimate sister. Uh, the Destroyer, that famous suit of cosmic battle armor. Uh, Scourge the Executioner, uh, currently back from the dead, apparently. Um, the Frog Thor, you know, which is not Thor turned into a frog. Apparently there's an actual frog who lives in a pond in Central Park who has got Asgardian superpowers. That's going to be good for fun. Uh, the original version of Valkyrie, you know, the Brunhilde version, not the uh, uh, Thor Armageddon version. And uh, most exciting for me, Eric, uh, Eric Masterson's son, Kevin Masterson. I'm glad that somebody remembered uh, poor Kevin, you know, since his, his mm. father has been uh, in limbo for so long. But now he apparently has grown a bit, and he's got his father's old Thunderstrike mace and a really stupid-looking strong guy haircut. But uh, it's, <laughs> that's, that's his burden to bear, <laughs> I guess. And now he's the new Thunderstrike, and this motley crew is going out into the Marvel cosmos to battle Nebula, granddaughter of Thanos, or possible granddaughter. I'm not sure whether that relationship was ever nailed down in the comics. She used to claim to be his granddaughter anyway. Uh, and uh, who's gotten her hands on an Asgardian superweapon, and this ragtag bunch has to take her down and reclaim this Asgardian artifact uh, for safekeeping. And it, it's an irresistible mixture of like B-level characters, and it's written by Cullen Bunn with art by Matteo Loli, and I think I'm going to buy it. All right. And my next question to you is, are, have you been reading the latest iteration of the Infinity Wars? Uh, well, I haven't read it yet. I'm, I'm not sure if I've gotten the first issue. Uh, it, I haven't looked through my last uh, okay. uh, DCBS service for, uh, shipment very carefully. Uh, but I, I'm definitely ordering it. I, 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 my, my resistance was worn down. All right. Well, when the time bubble uh, uh, reaches at that port, I look forward to that discussion. I'll meet you at the docks, Chris. <laughs> All right, page 22. I, I want to praise Jason Aaron's Avengers. Uh, I've read the first three issues, I believe. Uh, he just he, he gets all the characters' personas down perfectly, that their, their dynamic interplay, uh, you know, their interpersonal histories. It's, it's immensely fun. And, and you know, the, the first arc deals with the Celestials. So it's, it's awe-inspiring cosmic crisis only the Avengers can handle. So... Highest recommendation for that. Was that first arc drawn by Ed McGuinness? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm pretty sure I bought all the issues of that. And, you know, looking on page 22 at the cover to number 7, I'm not convinced that the Ghost Rider needs to be and, uh, a cross-millennial legacy hero. But looking at this image of Ghost Rider 1 million B.C. riding atop a flaming woolly mammoth, that is just a damn cool image. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm – it is a great image, and I'm – yeah, they had the Ghost Rider who's is in the in the in the car. The I forgot his I forgot the name of his alter ego. I think he's a, lat, a Latino. Robbie man. Reyes, I believe, is his name. That's right. Yes, um, I, I'm enjoying how they're using him in Avengers. I'll just say that. So now I'm interested on the return of West Coast Avengers on page 24. That's issue one was solicited last month. Um, so we got Tiger on the cover. 
<laughs> Haven't seen her in a while. Attack of the 50-foot Tigra. Yep. That's, uh, what's her name? Greer, uh... Greer, Greer Nelson. Greer Nelson, who was, of course, the cat in the classic brief Bronze Age series uh, in, the, in the early 70s. Uh, page 27, Todd Nisi Coates has taken Captain America. I just got issue one, haven't read it yet, but looking forward to discussing that. Very excited to read that. Oh, and the Cap Annual for this year is a uh, World War II era story illustrated by Chris Sprouse. Oh, perfect artist to do a World War II story. Oh, you said it. Put that on my list. Now, looking at page 31, Dan Slott's a great writer, and I, I didn't order Iron Man 1 just, just again because I'm trying to cut down a bit financially on how many books I'm getting, but damn, I'm tempted because it's Slott. Yeah, I'm, uh, I've pre-ordered a couple of issues of this. I don't know how long I'm going to stick with it, but yeah, I'm just glad to see Slot uh, working his magic on uh, the rest of the Marvel Universe. Uh, Spider-Man's monopolized him for too long. Indeed, and it looks like they're returning, and they even – Merge will appreciate this uh, callback. They reference Avengers Volume 1, 224, where there was that brief romance between Janet and Tony. Hmm. Was that part of the like Roger Stern run? Am I remembering that right? Oh... I don't remember if it was Stern or not. Someone can help us in the forums, but it was it was a it was a great storyline because they, they actually start to question whether or not Tony's on the up and up because Janet's very emotionally uh, vulnerable at that point because of what's going on with Hank and so forth. So interesting to see them return to that. Look at that cover of Thor number five. Oh, on page thirty-two, tremendous. Again, Jason Aaron is. When we, when we look back on the history of the Thor comic, let's say some years from now, this is one of the great runs right here, ladies and gentlemen. Do you think it will measure make, up to the Simonson run? That's a good question. Um, I don't know. Ask when it's over. Because <laughs> <laughs> the Simonson run is one of the all-time great Thor runs, of, of course, but Aaron's is pretty damn magnificent. Spidey has an amazing Spider-Man annual number one on page 33. This does the alien symbiote. Actually, this is this is interesting. So this is telling you when Peter was sleeping, and the symbiote would take him out without his knowledge at night. This is this is going into what he actually did. That's interesting. This goes back to the 1980s. All right. That is a great cover on Amazing Spider-Man six on page 35. Humberto Ramos. Some villains you like on that cover there, I think, my Oh, word. yes, quite a few of them. Well, yeah. Nick Spencer, you may remember, was the writer of the Superior Foes of Spider-Man series from a few years ago. So uh, Boomerang was a member of his cast back then, and apparently he's a member of <laughs> Spencer's Amazing Spider-Man cast even now. But, yeah, I can see the kangaroo is in there, the spot, the white rabbit, Killer Shrike, uh, the living brain, and uh, the brother's grim. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wonder if this is happening at the bar with no name. Oh, that's possible. That's possible. Looking on page um, – I'm jumping ahead a bit. Uh, page 43, uh, again, they're continuing the 20th anniversary of Marvel Knights. Uh, by the way, I just want to point on the, on the opposite page, Spider-Man, Deadpool, 30 and 39. Great callback to the Marvel Fanfare number one cover from the 80s. That was a fun series. Yeah. I think I have that. Uh, issue. Did it have was was the angel on the cover of that one? Yes, it was. Yep, it was a beautiful Christopher Golden, uh, uh, Christopher, uh, Michael Golden drawn issue written by Chris Claremont. All right, I am not muddled. 
Page 43, 44, 45, great callbacks to various Marvel Knights characters. Uh, they're doing reprints of uh, classic Bendis-era Daredevil stories, Silver Age Daredevil, Luke Cage, The Punisher, Jessica Jones, Hellcat, because you know Patsy Walker is a key character in the Jessica Jones TV series, uh-huh. Iron Fist, Black Widow, great stuff. It's all for a buck or slightly less on DCBService.com. Merb, we got to go to page uh, – of course, there's no page number. Um, why do they do that? I think it's page 48. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Why, I, don't you hold, why don't you hold forth on that one? Be happy to. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, this is a one-shot. Uh, it's entitled Journey into Mystery, The Birth of Krakoa. Uh, it's written by Dennis Hopeless, who brought us that Avengers Arena series from a few years ago and also wrote some Spider-Man, oh, Spider-Woman stories in between times and art by Jibril Morissette Fan. And it's the st- – it, okay, so th- there have been several stories over the years on the DC Comics side of the reality divide uh, of uh, various war characters going to Dinosaur Island, You know, the war that time forgot. The Suicide Squad's been there. The Losers have been there. Well, now we get to see Marvel's version of that kind of story as in World War II, in the, the ending days of World War II, Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos go to Marvel's version of Dinosaur Island, Krakoa, the island that walks like a man, as seen in Giant Size X-Men number one of the first mission of yes. the all-new, all-different X-Men. It was this island that had been fused into a single gestalt collective entity by atomic testing, so that every living thing on it was part of the same hive mind, and it could form itself up into this big uh, humanoid monster that the X-Men then shot into space at the end of that one-shot. And Krakoa was seen again after that, but this, I guess, is telling us the secret origin Behold the startling birth of the island of Krakoa, and Sergeant Fury and his uh, gold bricks in the Howling Commandos are on hand to help uh, give us kind of a human perspective of what happened there. And it's, it's written by Dennis Hopeless, and he made me enjoy that Avengers Arena series in spite of my distaste for the concept. So he, he can write a good story, and I'm going to trust him to tell a good one here. I will order this one shot. I figured you would, my friend. I want to point on page 53. I'm really enjoying Tanisi Coates' uh, new volume of the Black Panther. It's it's a it takes place in a far flung future where there's a, 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 there's a star spanning Wakandan empire, and a rebellion is being led by a man named T'Challa, who may or may not be the T'Challa of the Marvel universe, who's been flung into this reality. It's outstanding. The first two issues, so I highly recommend that. Great artwork by uh, Daniel Kuna. Uh, let's see. I'm going to jump ahead a bit, Murr. If you want to jump back, please feel free. I want to point out on page, in the, in the page 64, 65, and 4, all the X-Men books. I'm a little downcast. I love these characters, but I, I just can't – I can't find the energy to jump back into all these titles. There's just too many of them now. Yep. I did for the sake of Shadow Cat and Colossus's wedding, but uh, I don't, I don't, it wasn't enough to make me stick around, I don't believe. I have the wedding issue. I haven't read it yet because yep, I, I love those characters. So I got to go. I'm going to jump into page 79 and 80. The Darth Vader and Star Wars titles are just tremendous. If you're a Star Wars fan, you're not reading these books, please do yourself a favor. Uh, Kieran Gillen right now in the, in, the, in the flagship title, Star Wars, he's doing an arc called Hope Dies. I just read the first installment. Of, I just got it yesterday. Oh, 
Gillen wrote that legendary Darth Vader Volume 1 series of Marvel a couple of years ago, and he continues to show he's got the chops here. Hope Dies maybe one of my favorite arcs of the year and out of all comics if it measures up to the first issue. And no one since Al Williamson renders a more awe-inspiring and terrifying Darth Vader. LaRocca's La Darth Vader is amazing. So I highly recommend that. There's going to be a one-on-one -on -one confrontation between Vader and his daughter, Her. the other. Okay. All right. Um, anything else from the main Marvel titles before I go into trades, my friend? Nope. Let's just proceed to trades. Okay. Actually, I should point out on page 687 again for the kids. Marvel Super Adventures Captain Marvel, first day of school number one. Sholly Fish writing, Mert. Mm-hmm. Yep. He gets around. <laughs> Terrific. Well, that, that's that's sure to be a winner for younger readers, or all ages readers, I should say. This is exciting on page 90. Conan the Barbarian Omnibus Volume 1. So this collects issues 1 through 26, Savage Tales 1 and 4, Chamber of Darkness 4, Conan Classic 1 through 11. This is the classic Roy Thomas, Barry Winter Smith stories, also Gil Kane, John Buscema. If, if you love Conan and, and you either never read these or want to own them in a prestige format, this is the book for you. These, these are wonderful. Many are adapted right from the Robert E. Howard uh, pulp classics. And uh, this, this one of Thomas's one of his many of his one, one of his many important contributions to Marvel that he convinced uh, them to take on the license for Conan in the early 1970s. And he, became, and he was Conan was a huge seller for Marvel in that era. Murder on page 92, Guardians of the Galaxy, an omnibus of the original Guardians, going all the way back to Marvel Superheroes number 18. And for all you young whippersnappers who are wondering where uh, Rocket Raccoon is, just pick it up and find out for yourself. Didn't they suddenly the characters appear briefly in the in the second Guardians movie? Yes, they did. Yes, as as okay. a, kind of a, a team under themselves. Um, I'm trying to remember, I, I think Sylvester Stallone was supposed to be Starhawk. Yes, that's correct. That's right. So, there's anything else here in trades I wanted to shout out? Page 103, the classic uh, Grayson Ruck of Black Widow stories are being put in a complete collection. Those are excellent. I highly recommend those. J.G. Jones Art. On page 108, X-Men Grand Design. Um, this is collecting – these stories haven't actually come out yet. These are the, the, the Pisker's take on the Bronze Age X-Men. Again, th these are – these are – oh, man. If you haven't read a – it's a two-issue, the one he did in the Silver Age where he, he revisits the entire Silver Age of the X-Men and he puts his – sort of his take on that, the narrative. But he, he doesn't – change anything. It's just him interpreting what happened. It's magnificent. Highly recommend that. Uh, let's see. I think I'm, that's it for Marvel, my friend. Yes. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. Let me go back. You know what? Page 135. I have to point out the epic collections. So we've got West Coast Avengers, the first uh, arc from that classic series of the 1980s. Uh, these are good bang for your buck. They're 30 bucks, but you've got, got a lot of issues in them. Page 136, Doctor Strange Volume 1, so the early uh, Lee Ditko. By the way, Mer, we should mention – I'm ashamed we didn't mention that Steve Ditko passed. Uh, yeah, so that's, that is kind of – that's the sort of thing we would bring up in a comic talk episode. But yeah, we, he definitely needs our, a formal expression of regret. 
Yes, uh, and you're right. We'll 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 do a, bit, a much lengthier tribute to Mr. Ditko when we have our next comic talk. But um, I, I was sorry to read read his obituary in the Times. Uh, I think it was just last week or so right. that I saw it. As but of the time you know, of this recording it was one week ago. Yeah, one of the, one of the obviously one of the giants of the American comic book medium, and we'll certainly return to that topic in the near future. Uh, page one thirty seven. Uh, early Bronze Age Thor. Uh, Lee, Conway, Kirby, Buscema, Neil Adams, Thor 175 to 194. That's great stuff in there. All right. that's I'm good with Marvel. Let me throw one more trade in there, Chris. Please. On page 132, Quasar, Cosmos in Collision. It's a trade <laughs> of uh, issues 10 through 25 of that great cosmic series uh, written by the late, great Mark Grunewald, art by Mike Manley. mentioned him earlier in regards to Mystery Science Theater 3000, and early work by Greg Capullo. I've, I've got every issue of Quasar, and I didn't even realize Capullo had drawn any of it. So that's kind of exciting. Uh, well, I know your love for that character. Oh, yes. Yes, it's the cos- – not only the, the character, but just what Grunewald was able to do with that series and you know, the way he explored different rarely visited uh, corners of the cosmic part of the Marvel Universe. Good stuff for that reason. But I should point out to the uh, canny listener and uh, cannier consumer, uh, these issues could probably be found for – you know, pennies on the page uh, at your local uh, comic book shop or at a convention. So you don't need to shell out the thirty four ninety nine for the trade. But it does no, have uh, a, a fancy new Todd McFarlane cover. So if you're into that. That's a good point, Mert. I mean, if you, any any store or show with a, a, a solid bargain bin selection should be able to find some of these. Although I should mention number – I think it's number 17 is a little difficult to find because uh, that's – I think that's the issue. But uh, there's one issue in there where Quasar uh, mediates a cosmic race. Uh, put on by the uh, an elder of the universe called the Runner for all the fastest uh, land speed characters of Marvel Universe Earth, including a uh, transplanted Barry Allen who shows up in the Marvel Universe with a wink and a nod from Mark Gruenwald. That that issue, because of Barry's appearance, is kind of a it's a little difficult to, to find. So it, it it should be included in this trade. So if you have trouble finding that one, you know maybe pick up the trade just for that. And I, I know you've praised that issue in the past, so. All right, ready for dynamite? Dynamite. All right. <laughs> God, I love you. All right, page 192. I'm very excited about this. First of all, it's James Bond, the origin. They're putting Bond uh, back in the historical context of World War II when he's a young, very young man. What's important is that it's written by Jeff Parker, who I know is going to be very reverent in, in, when he applies the history. I, I'm definitely getting this. I've loved every single James Bond book Dynamite has produced. Especially the recent miniseries, The Body, which one of the which some of the finest James Bond comics I've ever read. Looks like this so. is going to be an ongoing. It's going to be a, at first, at least, a teenage James Bond uh, getting embroiled along with the rest of the United Kingdom in World War II. Indeed. So, so yeah, that's hmm, interesting premise there. I, I don't know how quickly time is going to pass here. I'm hoping we're not going to spend the entire series in the early 40s, but yeah, there's a lot of different. Uh, points prior to the beginning of Fleming's novel series that uh, Parker could choose to delve into here. And the first issue of this intriguing new series is 50% off if you order it through dcbservice.com. All right. I should point on page 198. Have you ever read the Toxic, seen the Toxic Avenger film or other Troma uh, offerings? This is the art of Troma. <laughs> so the class of Nukem High... Poultry Geist, Tromeo and Juliet, Toxic Avenger. Something for every 80s kid's uh, 
bookshelf. Yeah, I was never much of a Tromaville fan. It's just a little too gross for me. <laughs> I want to point on page 211. Uh, Battlestar Galactica, Galactica Classic Omnibus Volume 2. What's important here is that it's Abnett and Lanning. Uh, I may pick this up. I, I never read these stories. It takes place in the classic Galactica universe. Right. I, I do think I bought most of the issues of that run. So I won't need the soft cover, but uh, it's simply based on who wrote it, I can, I can recommend it. Indeed. Anything else for uh, uh, Dino before I move into Boom? Uh, real quick, on page 200, uh, for fans of the TV series uh, Charmed, uh, starring Shannon Doherty and others, uh, it's about a group of uh, young witches. Um, uh, here we have uh, Charmed Magic School Manga, an original graphic novel uh, coming out from Dynamite, uh, with art by uh, Jonathan Lau, who has uh, not only uh, illustrated some Green Hornet comics for Dynamite in the past, he's also a CGS listener. I'm friends with him on Facebook. So, oh, terrific. Yep. Um, I'm not sure if uh, de- describing his er, and marketing his art style as manga is 100% accurate, but it is accurate to describe it as good. So if you, uh, if you like Charmed and would like to read some comic adventures of these characters illustrated by a talented artist, try this OGN from Dynamite. Speaking of uh, OGNs, thinking of Shane here too on page 230 from Boom now, Race for Your Life, Charlie Brown. Original graphic novel soft cover. Yeah, you know, I think I remember this uh, this story as a, you know an animated TV special form. From they, they, they say you're inspired by the classic animated special. Huh. Oh. A brand new graphic novel adaptation. Hmm. For Peanuts fan, that's for you. What else, my friend? Uh, let's see. I, th- I know there was something. Yeah, here we go. Uh, also from Boom on page 228. Um, they're bringing back the uh, Over the Garden Wall uh, line of comics that they'd published for a while. There. This was an animated uh, primetime TV miniseries that Cartoon Network aired uh, maybe four or five years ago. Uh, it, it's kind of it, – it, it's an old-timey uh, American-style fairy tale. It, it's very reminiscent of those Wizard of Oz books that I like so much. It's about uh, two young boys, uh, half-brothers, I believe, that uh, wander out on Halloween night and get lost in a strange uh, fairy land called the Unknown. Uh, they encounter some fairly you – know, they have some silly misadventures. They have some very dark and frightening misadventures as they try to struggle their way back to reality, the waking world. Um, and it, it's it, it's kind of an early 21st century version of what The Wizard of Oz was to the early uh, 20th century, mm. although it's uh, it takes its stylistic cues from the same time period as The Wizard of Oz. It, it kind of feels like a, you know, uh, the unknown feels like an early 20th century L. Frank Baum era fantasy land. So I enjoyed it very much. It's a great thing to watch uh, on an, uh, an autumn night. Uh, and uh, Boom has produced a bunch of comic books based on uh, this uh, – this miniseries. Uh, there's a new five-issue miniseries called Hollow Town, which uh, gives us yet another in a seemingly endless series of uh, uh, mini-adventures that uh, the, the, the brothers uh, Greg and Wirt have as they wander around the unknown. And there's also an original uh, uh, graphic novel sequel in which uh, Greg and Wirt uh, discover that one of the little fantasy creatures that had helped them through the unknown, a, a, a human girl who'd been transformed into a bluebird who acted as their help and companion uh, throughout their adventures. Uh, she somehow has found her way into the real world, and so the two of them have to find their way back to the unknown to take her home. 
so th- these are both on, on pages 228 and 229. All right. I wanted to point on page 239. I, I've been raving about this for, for the past few months. Uh, the Ursus Plan of the Apes miniseries now in soft cover, just finished. In the running for my miniseries of the year. Uh, again, I'm a huge fan of the writer David Walker. Talked about him many times on the show. And uh, again, I love a story where they take uh, a character or a concept that maybe that hasn't been explored that in depth, or maybe people used to look at it from a certain perspective. They tip it all on its head and they make you look at it in a different way. That's what Walker does here with, with the class Planet of the Apes character, General Ursus. Gripping and poignant, uh, highest recommendation. So, what else, brother? Anything else in Boom? Uh, I think that's all I've got for Boom. Okay. All right, moving to the rest of the book. What what jumped out at you, brother? Okay. Well, let's see. Uh, we can start with Action Labs. Um. Uh, since uh, the, these are all things solicited for uh, September, uh, well, mostly September release, uh, might as well point out on page 260, uh, Ghoul Scouts, Night of the Unliving Undead, which is about a, well, a team of uh, young monster fighters. It's uh, written by our friend Steve Bryant. So it might make for good uh, seasonal reading for a young person in your household. Excellent. And I'm sure there'll be even more such seasonal reading on offer next month, of course. Of course. Uh, I wanted to point out on page 318, it's a staff pick um, from from uh, previews. The Unwanted Stories of Syrian Refugees, hardcover. Um, and th- this is one of the, one of the key uh, crises of our time, the impact of the Syrian civil war, uh, not only on Syria itself, but on the surrounding uh, Mediterranean and, and, and Europe. And, of course, the ramifications that have rippled that word to our own country uh, in many ways. So um, this, from what I'm reading, it's a lengthy solicitation, but this, this, this sounds like it's a very important book. Uh, award-winning writer and illustrator Don Brown explores the Syrian refugee crisis as graphic novel and wanted. Uh, he traveled refugee camps he, for, to research the book, meeting refugees, hearing their stories. So uh, this is that's probably well worth p- checking out. Again, if you're interested in... Uh, one of the great crises of our time and the, and the ripple effect it's had on not just on Syria but really the whole world, certainly the United States and Europe. Uh, this this could be a very important book. So, to point that on page three twenty five under Chartwell Books. This sounds very interesting, Murd. DC Comics heroines hundred greatest moments written by Robert Greenberger. From Batgirl to Wonder Woman, all the greatest female characters of the DC Comics universe are paid homage in this epic tome. Three hundred four pages, twenty four ninety nine hardcover. Overview of a hundred notable scenes. Women show just how tough they are. High quality panels pull from a silver and bronze age of the present. Oh, this sounds great, Murd. Wonder Woman, Batgirl, Supergirl, Black Canary, Satana, many more. Oh wow! And it's written by uh, Bob, Bob Greenberger, a name that I uh, deeply respect, as he is the uh, principal engineer behind uh, the uh, Who's Who, the definitive directory of the DC universe. Uh, published back in the 80s. So he is a DC researcher extraordinaire. Um, I think he, he also provided uh, little historical notes or essays uh, to all the Millennium Edition uh, comics, or, or re-releases of key DC Universe uh, and beyond titles that were published around uh, the year 2000. So he, he knows his DC history, and he's I can 
think of very few people better qualified to write a book like this. So it's it's bound to be a quality publication. That's that's what I wanted to hear, my friend. I I knew I knew his. I recognize his name, and I, I figured you would know more about him than I did in terms of my – I couldn't recall, and well done. Happy to serve, Chris. But <laughs> if I may, before we proceed much further, um, please. there's a large jump back I would like to make, which mm-hmm. I, I think may be of interest to you too actually. Um, you know, we have spoke often about uh, how impressed we are with uh, what uh, upstart publisher Aftershock has been doing. Yes. Comics over the past couple of years. Well, I'm not going to talk about Aftershock, but I'm going to talk about a similar venture that's being launched uh, with this month's previews. It's on pages 278 and 279. It's a company called Ahoy Comics. All right. And it's being brought to us by uh, Tom Pyre, who is very high up on my list of top Ah. underappreciated comics writers. And now he's uh, trying his hand as a hopefully not underappreciated comics publisher. Because uh, he's founded this Ahoy Comics thing. And uh, Ahoy, as it turns out, is an acronym for four qualities that he hopes Ahoy Comics publications will bring to the readers. Abundance, more pages of comics, text pages, short stories, satire, poetry, criticism, illustrations, cartoons, added value all along the line. Humor, so he's guaranteeing that these books aren't going to be too dark. That's a good thing. Originality, he's cats in space. Uh, masked crime fighters ripped away from their respective comics. Uh, in a nutshell, if you've already read anything like it, we're not going to publish it. And finally, yes, is what the Y stands for. Yes to monthly series, yes to collected editions, yes to meaningful stories, dramatic art and beautiful design, yes to working and shipping on schedule, yes to the fine production details that make enjoyment effortless, yes to page numbers. Page numbers, Chris! <laughs> Yeah, so it's I, I, it's a good little mini manifesto he's put together here, and it, it's got me fairly enthusiastic about where this new company is going, and uh, making me even more enthusiastic. Um, I mean, they're they're launching two new series this month. The first one is called High Heaven, written by Tom Pyre, and it's uh, it's about a guy, a, kind of a cynical, pessimistic. A nudge of a guy who goes to heaven and discovers that it's terrible and uh, what he does about it once he gets there. And it also features a couple of backup stories and a text story written by Grant Morrison. So, yeah, the good stuff going on there. And then below that, even more interesting to me, The Wrong Earth, number one, written by Tom Pyre with art by Jamal Eigel. And this is a story of uh, two different parallel Earth versions of a a Batman-like hero named Dragonfly Man, one dark and grim and gritty and the other Silver Age style. And what happens when they get stuck – well, each gets stuck on the other's parallel Earth and has to make sense of one another's respective milieu. So all kinds of uh, humor, hijinks, and high adventure are going to happen there, I'm sure. Plus it's drawn with uh, trademark quality by uh, Jamal Eigel, a good friend of ours. You know what a perfectionist he is, and he is very excited about this project, I know, from what he said about it on Facebook. Plus there's also backup stories and a text story by Grant Morrison here. So for those at least, you know, just uh, give Ahoy Comics your uh, $3.99 per issue here for those text pieces. If for nothing else, spare yourself paying like $50 or $60 to read them in a – uh, Grant Morrison Obscurities Deluxe Hardcover several years down the line. <laughs> but uh, even beyond those Grant Morrison text pieces, though, uh, these two series sound like uh, really cool premises, and I'm going to buy them both, particularly The Wrong Earth. I'm really excited about that one. Well, Mr. Pyre couldn't have asked for a greater testimonial, Murd. 
Uh, I hope I'm done done right by him and Jamal. Because after all, now you're a big fan of his Our Man series, correct? Absolutely. It's uh, yeah. any, any fan of uh, DC Universe history, and particularly the history of the Justice League of America, really should have picked up the you know 24 or so issues of that series by now and read them. That's if Shane and I both go out of our way to recommend that Tom Pyre written and Rags Morales drawn series at every chance we get. I'm ashamed to say I've never read that, so I got to cut that down. It's a good one, Chris. Yeah, I have no doubt. Um, All right, I'm jumping. Um, go ahead, Bird. Go ahead, please. Yeah, there was one other jump I wanted to make. Uh, forward again please. to the Archie section of the book on page 295. Um, it's, it's another historical miniseries, Chris, uh, exploring the uh, impact of World War II. Uh, it's called Archie 1941 which of uh, comics fans may recall is the year in which Archie and a couple of his friends made their first appearance in Pep Comics number 22. Mm. Uh, and uh, this is written by Mark Wade and his old uh, partner from his Flash days, Brian Augustine, with art by Peter Krause, who penciled uh, the oh, lion's wow. share of the issues of that 90s Power of Shazam series and is responsible for giving it its uh, re- 40s retro art deco flair. So he's the perfect choice to illustrate this story. It, it's a miniseries, five issues, uh, dealing with Archie and his pals and looking at them, uh, portraying them a little more naturalistically than they were in Pep Comics number 22, say. Not played entirely for laughs. It's more uh, a look at the lives of the typical American teenager and how they might really have been impacted in the year 1941 by that year's global events. You know, i.e., you know, among other things, uh, Pearl Harbor and the entry of the United States – well, the, the setting in motion of events that would drag the United States into World War II. So it's, it's Mark Wade writing it, so you know he's going to be conscientious about that kind of thing. It's going to be as period accurate as he can make it and still have it be you know, entertaining and relatable. It's a little off-putting to see Jughead Jones wearing that newsboy cap instead of his trademark uh, <laughs> crown beanie. You, know, you may not have known this, Chris, but the te- technical name for that kind of hat is a whoopee cap. I, I did some actual research I did, on I that. I did not know that. Yep, it's okay. <laughs> that, that's what Jughead wears. Or you could just call it a Jughead hat because he's so associated with it now. Um, but yeah, it's a five-issue miniseries, um, and if, I'm thinking that if it's uh, a fiscal success, uh, Wade, uh, in partnership with possibly other illustrators, might try uh, uh, showing us uh, more realistic portrayals of Archie and friends in other decades, like Archie 1955 and so forth. Just a different miniseries, each showing us uh, a glimpse of what it means to be the, quote, typical American teenager in terms other than slapstick comedy. Uh, for well, in each of those decades in which Archie comics had been published. I love the taking it on Archie uh, with Fiona Staples some years back. Um, and it's Wade. I'm, Myrna, thank you for pointing this out. I'm definitely going to order this without question. Well done. Happy to be of assistance. Hmm. All right, I'm jumping ahead uh, to page 396 under Pantheon Books. Marvelosity, the Marvel comic art Alex Ross hardcover. We were calling they did mythology some years back, which is Ross's DC artwork. This book is going to spotlight his Marvel artwork. So more than 50 have ever been published sketches, paintings, photographs, and working models. And a 14-panel portfolio gallery of Marvel's most beloved characters. It has written a new 10-page story pitting Spider-Man against the Sinister Six. It ends with a stunning twist, an introduction by J.J. Abrams. Wow. All right. Knox Ross fan. 50 bucks. Before the discount, of course. What else, brother? 
Ah, well, <laughs> I'm still turning pages trying to catch up with you at page 396. But in oh, the meantime, my apologies. Uh, back on page 328, uh, one thing that uh, caught my eye. Um, a few soft cover collections from a company called Comic Mix, uh, reprinting slightly older material from slightly older creators. Um, but uh, there, there's a, a collection of – it's an omnibus. You know, it's 288 pages worth of story uh, of Peter David and Richard Howell's uh, classic uh, independent series, Soul Searchers and Company. Oh, yeah. A bunch of uh, you know, sort of strange characters that have uh, come together into a uh, detective agency. I have never uh, read or really thought seriously about reading this series, but I love Peter David as a writer. This is uh, some of his uh, longer-ago non-Big Two work, and uh, it's got some artwork by Amanda Connor, and uh, yeah, it's, 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 since it's being presented in this uh, fairly affordable package, it's black and white. Uh, but it's $25, and, you know, I think I may just uh, give it a shot. All right. I'll point on page 353 under Golden Books. I always like to see these for the kids. Black Panther Warriors of Wakanda and DC Super Friends Aquaman Little Golden Book. So any kind of old ages book where they bring these beloved characters to younger audiences, I'm always a big booster for. We should probably remember that... Um, I mean, it doesn't involve me anymore as a retailer, but they are, they are promoting Halloween Comic Fest in this previews. In the very is – is yeah, they begin in the front of the book. Oh, they, yes, right. This is big so if, if, if people are interested in stopping by their local shop to get uh, free full-sized and mini-comics, uh, you can look on page – starting on page 29, they, they have all the different uh, companies' offerings of what they're going to put out. So that is Halloween Comic Fest, October 27th, 2018. Murd, I want... Except for tomorrow's, I'm pretty much done. So you fire away if there's anything else you wanted to talk about. I I don't think there is going to be very much. Um, Okay. Well, let's see. And... uh uh, under Oni Press, um, on page 388, they're doing the second in their series of Rick and Morty Presents uh, one-shots, uh, spotlighting particular characters or groups of supporting characters uh, from the Rick and Morty universe. This time from the uh, classic Total Recall episode, which I think is the strongest <laughs> of the entire series and one of the best single episodes of any TV series I've ever seen. Uh, it's about a wow. bunch of uh, psychic alien parasites that invade Rick and Morty's home. Uh, they feed on the memory and emotions of, of human beings. They Im- take the forms of wacky characters and implant themselves in the memories of people they meet. It, it's, it's kind of a play on the trope of uh, sitcoms and cartoons to just introduce uh, random new characters out of nowhere. Um, mm-hmm. uh, well, one of those characters was named Sleepy Gary, and uh, there's a one-shot now uh, just about that one <laughs> uh, fictitious uh, psychic paradite, parasite-generated character, Sleepy Gary. Uh, so if you, if you know that episode and like it, uh, here, here's an expansion of it in comic book form. All right. I wanted to put on page 432, jumping into tomorrow's. First of all, I just wanted to quickly praise – I'll go into more detail on the comic talk. I just got the latest issue of Back Issue, which is dedicated to martial arts characters, Shang-Chi, Iron Fist, Deadlands of Kung Fu, uh, and many more. Oh, what a tremendous, tremendous magazine. I'll talk about that more uh, in a future future episode, but Tomorrow's, once again, is the essential publisher for comic book history. 
Uh, we have Alter Ego 155 on page 432. Uh, they're celebrating the Golden Age artist Norman uh, Maurer. Uh, he worked on Crime Does Not Pay, Boy Comics, uh, Daredevil of St. John's 3D, and Three Stooges comics with fellow legend Joe Kubert. Yep, not just Three Stooges comics, but uh, Three Stooges short subject films as well. You see here? Ah, uh, yes, yep. it says that here, yep. Mo was his father in law. There you go. And they're reissuing a couple of great things here. The back issue 61, which is this is the long box edition. Um, this is a wonderful issue of back where they, they explore all the great uh, tablet and treasury size books from the 70s. Mm. Do you have this issue of back issue, Murd? I don't believe I do. Murd, you would love this issue. I highly recommend that. Oh, yeah. I see uh, The Wizard of Oz in there, which was the first yep. ever co production between Marvel and DC Comics. Yep. And also the Age of TV Heroes. This is a great hardcover. Came out, came out some years ago, where they explore the live action uh, TV characters like like George Reeves, Superman, the Batman, Adam West, Batman, Captain Marvel, um, of course, uh, Wonder Woman. Great stuff. That's a great book. I highly recommend that. And of course, we have to mention page four thirty five, Britannia. Eagerly anticipating issue one. It hasn't shipped yet. If you love Roman history, ancient history, and you also like a good detective story, this is Peter Milligan at the peak of his powers. This is great stuff. And as a, an enthusiastic student of Roman history, they, they give, have wonderful essays in the back of each issue giving the historical context. Can't can, uh, praise that enough. And Murray, if you don't mind, I've got to just jump into the T-shirts for a minute. Um, could I say one more thing about the comics, Chris? Always, my friend. Always. Okay. Yes. Um, page 410 and 411. Um, this is a book that we've touted on the show several times, going back to you know the days of Jamie D when he was still with us. Uh, from Studio Farlin, it's Farlin the Goblin. It's uh, issue number seven and the last of uh, this miniseries. Um, it's it's uh, the very epitome of quality self-published comics put out here. Uh, put out by a writer and artist uh, who goes by the alias Pug Grumble, otherwise known only by the initial J. Um, and it's the story of a little uh, tree goblin named Farlin and his little uh, tree sidekick, Erinwart, as they travel throughout all the various odd lands of Wug, each of which uh, has a – each of these odd lands has its own little peculiar little quirk or central feature um, that sets it apart from the others. Uh, he – Farlin is a, his race are caretakers of forests, and he lost his own forest, and now he's looking for a new home, and he's running out of different odd lands of Wug to explore. And finally, in this final issue, um, well, we'll finally discover whether or not he finds uh, the forest that he's been seeking all this time. Um, it's it's beautifully, painstakingly illustrated by Pug Grumble. It's uh, written with real wit and whimsy. Um, it's it's comparable to Bone in quality, as I've said several times. Oh. And uh, I mean, and David Peterson is doing an alternate cover for this uh, final issue, and you know he doesn't lend his artwork to just any project. You know, he's it's got David's seal of approval, and it's certainly got mine as well. Uh, it, it, it's been a very enjoyable miniseries. I've loved following Farlin on his uh, fantasy adventures through the Winglands and the Racelands and the Vaultlands, and now, yeah, for good or ill, his uh, his quest for a new home is coming to an end, and uh, I am certainly intending to be there for it, and I hope all of you will too. And I, I do recall you and Jamie D praising this over the years, so thank you, Mert. My pleasure. So to put now, we have to remember that the previews now they, they flipped it, so if, <laughs> so all of the ephemera and other merchandise is is upside down the other side of the book. So I'm on page one thirty of the other half of previews. I had to point out from Graffiti the Hall of Doom and Hall of Justice T-shirts. Striking. <laughs> 
if you're a fan of the Super Friends, these are these are nice shirts. Shane, I hope you're noticing these. I may have to pick up at least one of these. And Murray, I wanted to point out, by the way, I, I, I always lament when you're when you can't, you're not able to join us, but especially so because when Murray, when Shane and I did the June previews, and I had to order this. Did you see the Orb T-shirt? The Orb T-shirt. Oh, as yes. in the uh, Drake Shannon, the uh, motorcycle yes. riding. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. One of J- uh, Jason Aaron's favorite characters, as I understand it. He's used him did in see, lots of did, strange did you see ways. The, did, did you see the image of the shirt? I think I did. Yeah, it's like a classic seventies. Uh, yep. Isn't it? He's on a motorcycle, Bronze Age logo. I ordered it immediately. <laughs> the thought that I've ever actually—I didn't even think that I ever actually own an Orb T-shirt. It's so. <laughs> Wonderfully absurd. I cannot wait to wear it across my chest. I'll wear it under my. I, whenever I teach, I always uh, wear ridiculous t-shirts underneath my uh, more formal, you know, button-down shirts and sweaters and so forth. And uh, you know, bring, bring a little bit of the wacky into the classroom, just kind of a surreptitious guerrilla warfare type of way. Do you ever do a and, Clark uh, Kent-style reveal to your students? Like, this is what I'm wearing underneath. This is my secret identity today. <laughs> Uh, on occasion, uh, especially uh, if it's like a casual day, I'll just say I'll just say fudge it and wearing a you know, bringing like a silly uh, pop culture T-shirt. Um, to, to, to be fair to my school, they don't have a very strict uh, dress code for the teachers. We, as long as we're wearing you know, as long as we're covering our bodies and not wearing anything you know inappropriate or too outlandish, uh, no one says anything. But I like to have at least a a modest amount of decorum. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, I always like to wear a lot of different fun shirts. The orbits go to the top of the pile. <laughs> Wonderfully absurd is precisely the way to describe it, Chris. Indeed. And my friend, I think we shot our bolt. <sighs> bolt shot. Wow, and just coming up on two hours now. It's job well done. Indeed. All right. All right. I guess uh, the time has come then uh, to remind everyone that this and every previews episode of Comic Geek Speak was brought to you by Discount Comic Book Service, dcbservice.com. Go there now, check out their discounts all, and all the other things that they can do for their uh, regular customers. It's uh, the best place we know of to buy your comic books uh, from an online source. If you'd like to send us an email, the address is comicgeekspeak at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave a voicemail, you can call 267-702-6642. You can like us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at comicgeekspeak. You can go to thecomicforums.vanillacommunity.com, our new URL, uh, which is our online forum where you can engage in uh, conversations with your fellow CGS listeners about a variety of geeky topics and also leave us, the geeks, feedback about this and other episodes of the show. Let us know what you're interested in from this previews catalog, etc. We'd like to give special thanks to everyone who has supported the show monetarily, either in the distant past or the recent past. We really appreciate it, and the show would not be what it is today without your help. And as always, we are uniting the world's mightiest heroes, one listener at a time. You got it on Wednesday, and you were psyched about it going to the volume up. These guys will talk about it, everything the geeks love. Okay, so laser beams are pain like the seas. 